0: World in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play, our game. All right. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. What's up with this man? Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is doing great. I hope everybody out there in the world today listening to this podcast is taking my advice, is heeding my advice, listening, learning, listening, listening, learning, educating, growing, maturing, listening, learning for those who are needing to be educated, listening, learning. I hope that you're doing that to make this world a Better Place to Be, What's Happening, K. Pasa, Miyama, E. Wendell Wallace, Bonjour, Bonsoir, whenever you're listening to this podcast, you name a Wendell Wallace, speaking on Wendell's World in Sports, I'm so glad that you could be with us, a lot of things going on in the world of sports today that I'm going to be talking about, the NBA is back, is officially I guess going to be back in motion July 30th, I want to talk about that, baseball is back, I guess they're going to be starting July fourteenth. About damn time. We'll go ahead, and I guess I'll talk about that. I just did. Moving on. So, also this whole bubble Wallace saga, man. I don't know what's up with this. It seems like I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be talking so much about about NASCAR. But the bubble Wallace saga continues. Just a recap from what happened the last time I spoke about it. NASCAR released a statement on Sunday, the last Sunday night, that a new had been found in the Talladega Speedway garage stall belonging to the circuit's only full-time black driver Bubba Wallace. Tuesday, the FBI stated it would not pursue federal charges after its investigation at Talladega and determined that it was not a hate crime. People claimed that it was a garage pull-down and not a noose. All right, whatever. Now, according to NASCAR, every garage pull-down, was checked as part of the FBI investigation And the only one of those Fashioned into a noose Was a rope in garage number 4 Which was assigned to Richard Petty Motorsports Number 43 Chevy This past weekend Look man, if it walks like a duck If it quacks, it's a fucking duck Alright, so when Bubba Wallace Was talking about, you know, was it a noose or not That he think was a noose when he was talking To CNN's Don Lemon This is the answer that he gave The correct answer in my opinion Of what he gave, the statement the answer of what he gave
1: have you seen ropes like that
2: hanging from garages um, is that is that typical Don the, the the image that I have and I have seen of, of what was hanging in my garage is not a uh, it's not a garage pool um, I've uh, I've been racing all my life I've we've, we've raced out of hundreds of garages that um, never had garage pools like that so people that want to call it a garage pool and put out of videos and photos of, of, of knots being um, in, uh, in 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 their, as their evidence. Go ahead, but from the evidence that we have, um, that I have, uh, it's a straight up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. I can confirm that. I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage over my car, around my picker guys, to confirm that it was a noose and never seen anything like it. It's not something... I, I talked to my crew chief about it. I said, I said, is this something like... I, I wanted to make sure we weren't jumping the gun. And I said, this isn't a, a knot. This isn't just a regular old whatchacallit. He's like, bubba, this isn't something that can be done within a second of just tying a knot and being on the way. This so, is something that took time. So what are you saying here? Are you, do you, are you saying that you don't believe... Do you, do you believe that it was intended for you in in that way or are you what are you saying here it, it was a noose it was a noose that was other whether tied in 2019 or, or whatever it was a noose so it wasn't directed me but somebody tied a noose that's what i am saying
0: wallace said the image that he saw it was not a garage pole. it wasn't a, it was a noose thank you very much he had been racing for a long time and i seen many garages And I've never seen a garage pull like this. I have lived in many homes. I've lived in many places. I have been in many houses. I've been in many garages. Never, ever, ever have I seen anything fashioned like that as a garage pull down. If I saw that, that shit is a fucking noose. Now, the FBI and NASCAR officials have stated that, yes, it was a noose. Checked with his crew chief to make sure that he was not mistaken in thinking it was a noose. The crew member confirmed it was a noose. So Wallace even went to the extent to say, you know, am I blowing this out of proportion? Should I just go ahead and, you know, run fire when there really is none? Let me go ahead and let me just get a second opinion. Let me check some sources to make sure that I'm not like out of bounds or out of pocket with this. You no, know, everybody was talking about Bubba. That is a noose. In my opinion, that is a noose. In the FBI's investigation, that was a noose. In NASCAR's official's investigation, that was a noose. That is a fucking noose. Now, the statement that Wallace made on his Twitter account last Wednesday regarding this, he said it's been an emotional few days. First off, I want to say how relieved I am that the investigation revealed that it wasn't what we feared it was, which was a hate crime, not a fucking noose. I want to thank my team, NASCAR, and the FBI for acting swiftly and treating this as a real threat. I think we'll gladly take a little embarrassment over what the alternative could have been. Make no mistake, though, some will try. This should not just detract from the show of unity we had on Monday and the progress we've made as a sport to be welcoming environment for all. Now Wallace has been on numerous media outlets over this past few days when. This all came out trying to defend himself and dispel the rumor that the that he had something to do with placing a noose in his garage. Because it's really interesting for me to see that when the news did break out in terms of the FBI investigation determined that this was not a hate crime. This had nothing to do with the investigation on whether it was a noose or not. The FBI came to the conclusion that yes, this was fashioned as a noose. The investigation was all about what this. Something that was a hate crime? Was this intended for Bubba Wallace? Was this something recent that someone trying to scare, trying to intimidate Bubba Wallace and trying to back off some of the things that he's trying to do to make NASCAR more inclusive? Was this something to try to intimidate him from doing that? No, in that situation, the FBI, the FBI said that that wasn't the case. But make no mistake about it, that shit was a fucking noose. And all you fucking dumbass rednecks, and for all you other assholes who sit there and, and, are, and are laughing and are taking victory laughs because they feel that you know NASCAR or your culture of NASCAR, your racist culture of NASCAR has been let off the hook, that the black folks and the liberals and the snowflakes are over-embellishing and overreacting and doing all these types of things because you want NASCAR back to what it was, which was back there, bringing in the Confederate flag and bringing them all that other bullshit that kind of... Put nascar in the position that it was before all that stuff was te- eradicated and in nascar's attempt to move to the 20th century or hell let's even try the 21st century let's see if we can get to the 21st century by midway through the 21st century shall we say so all of these folks are up here doing victory laps and cheering and drinking their bud and riding around with their confederate flags on the back of their pickup trucks and all that stupid ass shit down there This was not a victory for you in terms of dispelling the myth, whether it's true or not, dispelling the myth that NASCAR has a long, 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 long way ago in a long history of this type of stuff to determine that if someone found a noose in the garage of the only black driver that's in your sport that they would go to the conclusion that yes, this was something regarding a hate crime. Walks like a dog, duck, talks like a duck, that shit is a fucking duck. It just happened to be that it was a geese or another type of flying animal. So again, Wallace, Bubba Wallace has been on numerous media outlets, again, showing the solidarity, showing the courage, showing the strength to say just because the FBI was saying that it wasn't a hate crime, make no mistake about it, this shit was a noose. And the comment he made when asked if the noose was, you know, a hoax or staged by NASCAR in an effort to justify the removal of the Confederate flag. This is the comment that Bubba Wallace had determining that situation.
2: Yeah, just like uh, Steve Phelps said, it offends me that people would go to those measures. But again, I'm not shocked. Uh, People are entitled to their own opinion to make them feel good, whatever, make them, help them sleep at night. Um, But it is still an ongoing investigation with the FBI. I can now say I've talked to the FBI. Never thought that would happen. Um, But it's just uh, it's just unfortunate circumstances and in a, in a terrible time that we're in right now year 2020 will be one year to for sure forget um, moving forward but you know it's 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 simple-minded people like that the ones that are afraid of change um, they, they use everything in their power to defend what they stand up for and instead of trying to listen and understand, Uh, What's going on and and like I said, it's still an ongoing investigation. We're still trying to figure out Whoever did this crazy act to trying to pinpoint it on somebody and and just go through it all so It's you know, I think it was better for me not to see it directly. I don't know how I would have reacted um, But it's all in their hands now the FBI's hands to To go through everything and try to figure it out
0: offensive to him that people would think that he would go to those measures of course Like 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 Bubba Wallace needs to go ahead and do something that outrageous to let people know that you know NASCAR has a history of racist behavior, that somehow NASCAR has not really have been has really hasn't been an inclusive sports for all of diversity, for all of the genders, for all of the races, for all of those who come from different places. Yes, that the kind of the kind of, you know, bring home the message, let Bubba Wallace is sitting there talking about, hey, I got an idea. Let me fasten a noose let me put it over my garage, and then I'll yell and scream and talk about, oh my goodness, the white folks are out to get me, the rednecks are out to get me, the southern folks are out to get me, the diehard race car fans are out to get me. Oh, woe is me. So to think that Bubba Wallace would do something like that is, is, is ridiculous, is outrageous, is idiotic, is ridiculous. So he said that he, he said in fact, he said he wasn't shocked. People are entitled to their own opinions, that's what he said, no matter how ignorant or racist they are. That is true, we live in America, you can be ignorant, you can be stupid, you can be bigoted, you can be intolerant, you can be all those things. Not against the law, not against the law to be any of those things. I know that people want to sit there and whine and complain and moan and groan and bemoan and cry about oh my goodness we can't say this or we can't say that the world has gone so pc that if you say something racist if you say something bigoted if you call somebody a nigger if you call somebody a spick if you call somebody i don't even know what the i don't even know what the Uh, racial slur is for an Asian or for a German or for a Jewish guy or a person or whatever I don't even know what those are but if somehow some way you go ahead and you go on Twitter or you go on Facebook or you go somewhere and you record these things or you go ahead and you're recorded saying these things if you go to a Klan rally if you do these things that your employer doesn't have the right to fire you that if I was on if I was still working in Phoenix, if I was still on air at Las Vegas and, and here in Las Vegas, and I said something outrageous and I said something idiotic and I said something offensive and I said some type of slur, and I said something that embarrassed my employer, but somehow some way i 'm protected by the First Amendment for me to keep my job that 's not how it goes. you fucking idiots that 's not how it goes at all i couldn 't be arrested if I went on the air, if I was out here still. At Lotus Broadcasting, and I came on the ESPN Radio, and I said that uh, this, um, I don't know, this woman has been caught, this, this well-known female tennis player sleeps with sheep, and the daughter that she had is from a baboon. Or from a gorilla That's the way That's the reason why She looks like that Or I don't know Some stupid shit like that Some ignorant shit like that Some offensive shit like that Some knuckle headed shit like that That somehow some way I can walk out of the studio And be confident that Nobody in their right mind Would say uh, Wendell can we see you In my office please You're fucking fired For what you said Like somehow some way My first amendment Amendment protects me From that type of Adequate punishment That uh, punishment that would be uh, the the right-on thing to do. No. No. People are willing. People are... You can go ahead and do that shit all you want to in terms of being offensive and being bigoted and being ignorant. You can go ahead and do that. But please remember that you do have to face the consequences. And I know that in some of these places where they do run the NASCAR events, some of the southern states that maybe 40 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, maybe 60 years ago, that The majority of folks, if you said some shit like that, or even if you put a noose on, if you were trying to intimidate, if you were trying to scare, or you were just trying to send a message to a black driver that in places like Alabama, in places like Mississippi, in places like there in the South, back in the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1980s, the 1990s, that you would have probably a good majority of folks agreeing with him and saying, right on, right on, or whoever that person would be, whole different mindset now. And I like the fact that Bubba Wallace was sitting there talking about saying, hey, you know what, if you want to be racist, go for it. I think sometimes in America we kind of forget that, the land of the free. If you want to be ignorant, if you want to be racist, if you want to be homophobic, if you want to be stupid like that, go for it, man. Go for it. Just don't be around me. Just don't be anybody of my ilk who doesn't tolerate that kind of stupidity. I mean, I'm quite sure there's plenty and plenty and plenty and plenty of pockets. Here in America, where you can be as racist as you want to be, you can be as bigoted as you want to be, you can be as moronic as you want to be, hell, hell yeah, just as long as you pay your taxes, right, and don't commit any type of real crimes or felonies or anything like that, you can spout and say and believe and speak up on all of that fucking stupid shit. I mean, hell, even Fox Fox News might even want to have you on their programs if you keep that that type of nonsense, but for the most part... There are consequences. So Bubba Wallace is saying, hey, you know what? People are entitled to entitled to their own opinions and simple-minded people who are afraid of change that use everything in their power to keep the status quo of stupidity instead of evolving and growing. Go for it. Go for it. The only thing that I have, the only thing that I disagreed with, with Mr. Wallace, no relation, I don't think, was when he was talking about 2020 is one year that he wants to forget Uh, moving forward. I don't want to forget this. I want this to be remembered. This year so far, cannot, should not, it will not be forgotten. It better not be. Hell no, it better not be. And I'm not just talking about what's going on with the social unrest. I'm not just talking about those things. I'm talking about how we, you know, react and deal with the corona, how we deal with adversity, how, you know, what leadership should look like and what it shouldn't look like in terms of going forward, in terms of moving forward. Not just the piece of shit, not just the lying, arrogant misogynistic, racist, amoral, low character, no character, piece of shit, asshole that we have in the White House right now. But just in terms of, you know, you're taking a look at our mayors, you're taking a look at our government, you're taking a look at our um, selected officials locally and nationally to see what we're doing. 2020, just in terms of how they're dealing with the corona, just how they're dealing with the racial unrest, just how they're dealing with these major types of things. We should not forget about that going forward, moving forward. If we're speaking about the elections of 2022 the midterm of 2022 the next presidential election of 2024 then those midterms of 2026 and then the another election of 2028 so all of those things moving forward we don't want to forget this we should have the same 2020 should have the same historical importance as 1776 in, 18, in 1863 when everything is all said and done, which is a group of people gaining their freedom and equality. And I'm not just talking about black folks. I'm also talking about the B two movement still getting stronger. I'm talking about those of the, LBGB, uh, the LGBT... What, is, what am I trying to say? The gay and lesbian community. Their, their community getting stronger. Their community gaining more rights. Their community getting more respect. Their community becoming more emboldened to be who they are and not to back down and not be... Uh, in fear of any reprisal from those who are ignorant enough and bigoted enough, who feel that, uh, you know, we're speaking about these Bible thumpers who feel that, you know, gays are no good and the Lord said this and the Lord said that, all of that nonsense. Hopefully, the year 2020 is maybe we can start having a true removal from church and state and really minimize and really castigate the power that church has when it comes to. Uh, government, maybe we can start moving away from that. So you know, seven. So this year, I have to agree with uh, disagree with Bubba Wallace. I want to remember this, and I think it's going to get a lot harder, and I think it's going to get a lot hotter before this year is over. So we haven't even thought about leaving the woods just yet. We're just right now entering the woods, so we're not even thinking about. We're not even planning. We're not even contemplating right now a quick removal. ...from those woods unless we go backwards. We're not moving backwards. We're going to go through these woods. And when we come out of those woods, whether it be in 2021, 2022, whatever, we'll be better off for it as a nation, as a country, as a world. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that you could be with us. So, the argument, and speaking about Bubba Wallace here. There was a noose found in his garage. Um, The FBI said that it wasn't part of a hate crime, but it was a noose. So, NASCAR should be taking a look into that. I don't know where, any place there, it should be acceptable in this country to have a noose, anything looking like a noose of any any kind, anywhere um, in this country, really in this world regarding any type of people and regarding any type of race or anything like that. So the argument that the privilege that some of the white folks and some of the black folks and some of the Hispanic folks and some of the Jewish folks and some of the German folks and just some of the folks are trying to make in their piling on a Bubba Wallace and trying to mitigate this and trying to somehow shift the blame or shift the uh, negative attention from what is not what NASCAR is trying to do in terms of moving towards the 21st century, the argument that they're making is NASCAR jumped the gun or they overreacted to the assumption that this was a racial threat or this was a hate crime. And you know you have folks coming out there NASCAR. We're not going to be tolerating any hate crime. We're going to investigate to the fullest and this, that, and the other. So the argument was, you know, those guys should have sat back. Those guys should have waited until the investigation was over and all those type of things until they came out with some type of statement. And if they were going to come out with some type of statement regarding that, hey, we found a noose in Bubble Wallace's garage, that they wouldn't attach hate crime to it because you're attaching hate crime to a black driver and a sport that's already sensitive in terms of no, we're not racist, no, we're not bigoted, no, none of those type of things so already you have that brewing already you have that in the mix so the argument again was NASCAR should have just kind of backed off a little bit and and, in one way I think maybe they could have I see your argument I see your point on that one but guess what, I'm glad that they did come out out and, and say those type of things because the history and the present-day prejudice and racism that the sport of NASCAR is known for, whether you think it's right, whether you think it's wrong, whatever, NASCAR doesn't allow, doesn't, they, they're not given the benefit of the doubt for us to sit back and go ahead. We should go on the assumption that this was a hate crime, and you know what, if it turned out that it wasn't, which it wasn't, good, fantastic. But due to what's been going on the past couple of days, due to your reaction of speaking about some of the core group members who are fans of the sport. And we're speaking about the educational level. We're speaking about the intelligent level. I'm not I'm not I'm not speaking about everybody in the sport at NASCAR. I'm not doing that at all. And maybe and maybe I'm stereotyping. Maybe I'm right now being no better than those idiots who are sitting there talking about the Confederate flag as part of our history and it's our tradition. So how dare the snowflakes, how dare, dare the far left, how dare those people go ahead and take that heritage, take that pride away from us, maybe I'm on that level right now and if I am, fuck it, every once in a while I guess I will swim in those waters but because of the reputation that NASCAR has, yeah I was going to go ahead and jump to the conclusion, yeah I was going to go, it was irresponsible, but I don't care I'm glad NASCAR did that and they were wrong, okay no problem But guess what? I sure hope that if it happens again, they do the same thing again. Because once again, as of right now, and maybe this is a situation where if NASCAR NASCAR continues to move, NASCAR continues to evolve, NASCAR eradicates some of those fans who still want it the old way, the white, uh, white, white way, suffering succotash, that maybe, you know, we won't have to go back and relive these type of things and go back and take a look at the playbook to say, now, how are we going to react? How should we go ahead and do this if we see that there's a possibility that there's a potential of a hate crime? How are we going to do this? Because as of right now, NASCAR, for this next few years, you do not, you do not have the benefit of the doubt when it comes to these type of things. So NASCAR jumping the gun, glad they did it. Absolutely glad they did it. Again, a noose was found at a NASCAR event in the garage of the only black driver in the sport after he was the leader in face of starting a cultural change in that sport. What the fuck do you expect us to think? Any evidence, perceived evidence of racism during this time? you know, It must be countered immediately by showing solidarity, unity, strength among those in the sports. And if it's proven wrong, then fuck it, we're wrong. Do it the next time that situation happened. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was absolutely beautiful, the response from everybody associated when that was found out, and that was the assumption that those guys came out and showed strength. So guess what, if someone is trying to intimidate, even if we found out, oh shit, it wasn't a hate crime, guess what, maybe the next asshole or maybe the next bigoted or bigot racist or whatever who wants to come out and think about doing that type of thing, sending that type of message, or maybe doing something even worse, that show of solidarity, even if it was on false pretenses, will let that guy know that you know what? Maybe it's not a good idea. Maybe that's not going to be the thing that's going to break the spirit, break the will, and NASCAR moving forward. Maybe doing that would stop something even worse down the road or stop an incident that really was a hit crime, a crime. Maybe they'll do something else, man. Maybe they'll go to Facebook. Maybe they'll start their own Twitter page or something like that. Maybe they'll go to social media. I don't know. Maybe they'll have rallies across the street from NASCAR events to show their displeasure. But the fact that, you know, they showed that solidarity, I don't know. is it a long shot, possibly. But I just absolutely love the display that those drivers and Bubba Wallace had. And the crew members, everybody associated with NASCAR to uh, show support for one of their brothers driving the car. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about the NASCAR. And again, it was just interesting to me that the people who were the happiest that it wasn't a, a hate crime in terms of the, the noose in Bubba Wallace's garage were the ignorant, privileged bigots that are still upset and disgusted that, there's, that their sport is changing and becoming more inclusive and not their out-of-date, antiquated, racist terms. I I just thought that, you know, man, this ain't going to change anything. Did Did you guys really think that, oh, doggone it, guess what? NASCAR jumped the gun and it wasn't a hate crime. It really wasn't. It was just a garage door. Oh, really, even was in the news. Well, I guess we can go ahead and put back the Confederate flags. I guess now the Confederate flags are welcome back in NASCAR events. Do you really think that was going to happen? Do you really think that NASCAR was going to sit there and say, Oh, shit, we fucked up, man. I guess the only thing we need to do now is bring back the Confederate flag. Let's just go backwards and bring it back to where it was before. Doggone it. Let's go ahead and ostracize and deify and vilify Bubba Wallace because I, I, I love... You should go to Bubba Wallace's uh, Twitter page. You should go to some of these things regarding NASCAR and just take a look at the comments. Just listen to these comments. It's hilarious. It's sad. It's almost like I have to kind of remember that this is just a small portion of what's going on. This, I don't even know if it's the more majority. I don't even know what type of percentage it is. And I guess moving forward, we'll kind of get a better idea, but it's just hilarious Sitting up there, like these people were just glee. These people were just so happy. Like, yeah, not, not because, whew, thank goodness, you know, we don't want anything to happen to any human being who's not a child molester or a child killer or a rapist or anything like that. We don't want anything happening to a civilized human being, regardless of their thoughts or their feelings or anything like that, toward different subjects, who, which I might agree with. I mean, you like again, again, you can be a racist, you can be a bigot. Hey, you know what? If you're not committing any violent felons, if you're not bothering me, I don't give a fuck. Do what you need to do. But you know, just the absolute glee that these jackasses took in terms of see, I proved, I proved you wrong, NASCAR. See, this like somehow, some way, this was NASCAR's way of saying. Ha-ha, I told you taking down the Confederate flag was the the wrong thing to do. Uh Uh-huh, I told you that having the ability to kneel during the national anthem was the wrong thing to do was not patriotic, was not American to do. It's like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? What the hell are y'all talking about? Should Should NASCAR have waited for the FBI investigation to conclude before making a show of solidarity and togetherness for Wallace? Fuck no. Again, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And again, it just shows those who are thinking possibly about trying to have some show of hate, to have some show of fear, or to have some show of intimidation toward uh, Bubba Wallace to see what he can do to see if you can break him, see if you can break NASCAR. See if somehow, some way, you can bring NASCAR to your side of the street in terms of bringing back some of those old, out of dated, out of touch, racist, bigoted type of things that were connected with NASCAR, namely the Confederate flag. That, yes, we can go ahead and do that. No, 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 um, putting a noose in someone's garage garage is not going to do that calling Bubba Wallace a nigger ain't going to do that calling Bubba Wallace and talking about you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that to him and all those type of things that's not gonna help your cause talking about you'll never go to a NASCAR event again that's not gonna help your cause you know, phoning in threats that's not gonna help your car ca- cause flying a, you know flying a banner over the speedway talking about bringing back the Confederate flag Motherfucker, you just wasted your goddamn money because that's not going to do any good. It only makes your sport look stupid. The sport that you claim to love you, makes them look stupid. It makes them look dumb. And you know what? Maybe your idea, maybe your thought pattern is like, well, you know what? By removing the Confederate flag, you're making our sport look bad to begin with. So why do I give a fuck? Maybe that's true. But I'm here to tell you, it ain't happening. NASCAR, hopefully, hopefully, and I'm going to put my trust in, I'm going to put my faith in the people of NASCAR, the leaders of NASCAR, the NASCAR drivers, and the NASCAR fans. I'm going to put my faith and my trust in you guys that you are going to be able to bring the sport up to where it's going to be available for, all, for everybody, for blacks and Hispanics and Democrats and those city slickers and those all over the country and those all over the world who might have a different viewpoint. Than you do And hopefully you guys can Grow your sport and open your sport Who knows man I mean maybe a situation where there's a guy who Because of Your ability to change Because of the sport's ability To grow and mature and to branch out and to reach other folks. Maybe that guy who was going to be a fabulous baseball player or a basketball player or a football player when he was young, maybe if he's growing up in North Carolina, maybe if he's growing up in Alabama, maybe if he's growing up in Florida, maybe because of the growth of the sport, a guy who being born and bred in New York City, in Chicago, Illinois, in Los Angeles, California, in Seattle, Washington, in Washington, D.C., maybe somebody from the, the black neighborhood, maybe someone from the Mexican neighborhood, maybe someone from the Puerto Rican neighborhood, maybe someone from the Dominican Republic neighborhood, maybe someone from the Asian neighborhoods throughout the major cities in the world, maybe because of the growth, maybe because of the welcomeness of the sport to everybody, maybe that person who, because of that, condition that they live in, because of that neighborhood that they live in, would normally gravitate to basketball, would normally gravitate to football, would normally gravitate to boxing, would normally gravitate toward uh, MMA, that would normally gravitate toward football. Maybe those guys, because they see a Bubba Wallace, because they see a Jimmy Johnson, because they see a Tony Stewart, because they see a memorable Daytona 500, or because they see a m- memorable. I don't even know what race we're talking about but maybe in a young person's mind of five of six of eight of ten or twelve maybe that sparks their interest in the sport and maybe that guy instead of becoming the next superstar in basketball maybe that black man becomes the next superstar and the next crossover star and the next guy who's going to be the face of the sport become a great face of the sport for NASCAR maybe that Hispanic guy who was going to go and maybe go into football or maybe go into boxing or maybe go into baseball. Maybe instead, because of the growth of your sport, said, you know what? Instead of being the next Mike Trout, I want to be the next Tony Stewart. And he has the ability and he has the talent to go ahead and do that. Falls in love with the sport. And that's the person in the year 2036, the year 2040, is the guy that's going to bring an even a whole new, bigger audience to Dallas Talladega. And maybe, who knows, man, maybe there'll come a time down the road because of this growth, because of the hard times, because of the gr- groundwork, because of the foundation that's being laid right now, and we're eradicating, and we're getting rid of those who are still wanting to stay stuck in the 1940s, and the 1960s, and the 1970s, in terms of their traditions, in terms of their thought pattern of what NASCAR should be. Maybe when I'm 75 or 80, if the Lord allows me to live in this earth for that long, maybe I'll see a black or Hispanic or an Asian or a gay driver who's just whooping ass and his name is going to be synonymous with some of the greatest athletes in the entire world, which would only put more shine into your sport, what only would make NASCAR a better sport to watch and a better sport, more profitable sport maybe right now, as Bubba Wallace was talking about, I want to forget 2020 no, I don't want to forget 2020, I want 2020 to grow We've got so many fucking avenues in this country, in this world where we can grow in so many different ways and so many different subjects. I know that NASCAR does not equate or is not on the same level as what's going on in the black and brown communities, what's going on with the Me Too movement and the women's rights movement and for their fight for equality and respect, that the fight for the equal rights and the respect for gays and lesbians are not at the same level, shouldn't be at the same level as, you know, fighting for the rights of, you know, bettering the sport of NASCAR. But in terms of those things being put together, in terms of those things binding as one, we improve the black community, we improve the Hispanic community, we improve the women's community, we improve the gay community. It helps everybody. It helps everyone. And guess what? In, in, in reverse, if we help try to move NASCAR... If we help try to bring NASCAR up to where it's inclusive for everybody, it helps each one of those movements. It helps the Black Lives Matter movement. It helps the Me Too movement. It helps the gay and lesbian community movement. It does all of those things. Together, once again, unity, harmony, growing together. We can get that done. So, (laughs) you know what? Keep trying. All you racist bigots out there, all you out-of-date, out-of-touch your time, is, your time is quickly coming to an end. You can try, but what I saw so far from NASCAR and everything, those bigots, those NASCAR racists out there who want to keep it old school, you guys are about to get, shall we say, run over. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hello. What's happening? Beautiful day out here in Las Vegas, Nevada on a Saturday afternoon. This will probably be posted on Monday. Busy week I had this week, so I really didn't have the time to carve enough time to uh, go ahead and to uh, record something. So maybe some of this stuff is out of date. Maybe the stuff is past its expiration date. But you know what? I want to bring it back to life. Because these are the things that I want to talk about, that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. When the whole deal with Bubba Wallace came down with the news, I was recording the latest video. So I really didn't have the latest video. I was recording the latest podcast, so I really didn't have a chance to, um, to say anything about that. But now... Again, this is my opportunity. This is my window of opportunity to record something to let you know how I'm feeling, what my thoughts and feelings are, and I'm so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. Wendell Wallace, your host, saying what I need to be said to those out there. So, as I mentioned before, speaking about NASCAR, speaking about Bubba Wallace, good friend of mine, my main man Armando Vasquez, big, uh, big NASCAR fan. His son, Marcus, big NASCAR fan. His son, him and his son are NASCAR and hockey fans. I'm Mexican. I'm talking about 100% Mexican. I'm talking about bringing it down, Mexican. Hola, Mexican. Mexican. That's what my man Armando Vasquez is. We're talking about hockey and NASCAR? Woo-wee! But, love them. But, um, you know, I was so... You listen to my podcast and I was speaking when I was speaking about Bubba Wallace and I was speaking about him showing so much courage and having much more courage and conviction and inner strength and self-belief and strength than any public figure on the planet right now when all of this stuff went down in terms of NASCAR with him being the face with him being the leader with him being the person out front in terms of NASCAR's decision to go ahead and eradicate the Confederate flag from all NASCAR events. And be be weary, be educated on this, that this does not get done if it's not for Bubba Wallace leading the charge. And that's one of the reasons why people, a certain portion of NASCAR fans don't like him right now. But, you know, I said it before on the podcast that I said that, you know, he's showing more conviction than anybody on this planet right now concerning this this matter. And we're speaking about LeBron and Kaepernick and still my president, Barack Obama, and any political figure or public figure of any walk in life, actors, comedians, I don't care who you name it right now, in terms of what Bubba Wallace is doing, in terms of what Bubba Wallace is showing, in terms of his strength and his courage and his conviction, he's the leader of the pack, which means when everything is all said and done and this chapter is written, in the sports and history books, and it's being taught in middle school, and it's being taught in history school, and it's being taught throughout the, the school system in the year 2050, Bubba Wallace's name will hopefully be synonymous with the leaders in the history of sports that made the social change better, that made it easier for the Black Lives Movement to gain the attention and gain the power and gain the strength that they needed to go ahead and make the changes that need to be made. Mainly, hopefully, praying, begging that in the year 2050, when race relations are much better, when the relationship between blacks and whites and Hispanics and gays and Asians and Mexicans are are better, and those kids who are sitting in those those classes and are reading the stuff and are going over the stuff and are watching videos of the stuff will look at each other and say, man, are you going to try to tell me back in the year 2020 that's what white folks thought about black folks? Really? That's what, that's what people thought about it. gays? Really? That's what that's how women were treated back then? Jeez, man. That's unreal. That's unbelievable. One of the reasons if we reach to that point one of the reasons for that to uh, be possible to be fruitful will be because of Bubba Wallace. And I told Armando, man, yeah, he is like in the same sentence. He should be in the same tier. He should be in the same VIP sections. He should be Sitting at the same table when everything is all said and done, hopefully, as people like Jack Johnson and Fritz Pollard and Paul Robeson and Jill Lewis and Jesse Owens and Arthur Ashe and Jackie Robinson and Sugar Ray Robinson and Wendale Scott and Wilma Rudolph and Willie O'Ree and Charlie Shifford and Athea Gibson and Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, Kurt Flood, Kareem, Abdul, Jabbar, Larry Doby, Colin Kaepernick, the Williams sisters, LeBron James. I'm hopefully, I'm hopeful. That Bubba Wallace is in that same group, is in that same class. Because if he is, this world is going to be so much better. This world is going to be so much great for Marcus and for Noel and for, um, often for your kids and for your kids and your kids and your kids and your kids and, your kids and, their, kids and their kids and my kids and his kids. I don't have any kids But you know what I'm talking about So moving on For the generation It'll be so much better And it won't be better Just in the major cities It just won't be better In Dallas, Texas It won't be better In Silver Spring, Maryland It won't be better In Boston, Massachusetts It won't be better In Detroit, Michigan It won't be better In Kansas City, Missouri It won't be better In San Francisco, California It won't be better In just Baltimore, Maryland It'll also be better In Needles, California It also will be better In Mesquite, Nevada It'll also be better in Skidmore, Missouri. It'll also be better in Warrensburg, Missouri. It'll also be better in Sweetwater, Tennessee. It'll also be better in Bristol, Tennessee. It'll also be better in Roanoke, Virginia. It'll be better everywhere. It'll be better in Columbia, South Carolina. It'll be better in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It'll be better in Jackson, Mississippi. It'll be better in Gainesville, Florida. It'll be better in all of those places, Albuquerque, New Mexico. It'll be better all across the board. It'll be better in Cheyenne, Wyoming. It'll be better in St. Paul, Minnesota. It'll be better in International Falls, Minnesota. What I'm getting at, it'll be better not just in the northern cities, not just in places where there's a wide diversity of folks. It'll be better all over this world, regardless of what the population is as far as diversity is concerned. That's what I'm hoping this impact that Bubba Wallace is having right now can have years later. He can be a small part. I'm not putting him in the same class as Malcolm. I'm not putting him in the same class as Medgar. I'm not putting him in the same class as Martin. I'm not putting him in in that top tier. But just in terms of athletes are concerned, what Bubba Wallace is doing, hopefully because of what he's doing, the leadership that he's showing, the strength that he's showing, and the conviction that he's showing, and with the help of his fellow brothers and sisters within NASCAR... This could be a turning point. This could be the beginning of something. So because of that, that's the reason why Armando, I said that, you know what, this is the reason why in my podcast a couple of weeks ago, why I said that Bubba Wallace needs to be put in the same sentence or he could be, he should be, he quite possibly could be in the hoping that he is. He could be the Joe Lewis of NASCAR. He could be the Muhammad Ali of NASCAR. In terms of the impact that he had through the sport on society, he could be the Jesse Owens of NASCAR. He could be the Jackie Robinson of NASCAR. That's what I'm talking about. Because of him... Society is better because Jackie Robinson did what he did in 1947 because of what Larry Doby did and the courage that he showed with the Cleveland Indians in 1947 because of what Jack Johnson did beating the great white hope James Jeffries in July of 1910 July 4th of 1910 he helped move society because of what Joe Louis did knocking out Max Schmeling in 1938 in one round or 1936 in one round one of those two years that's the reason why Joe Louis was able to his boxing through his athletic feats was able to uplift the country folks like Medgar, folks like malcolm folks like martin different way of moving the society folks like thurgood marshall different ways of moving society forward when we're speaking about coming from the black man's point of view all different ways people that i just mentioned before Like Jackie, like Muhammad, like Bill Russell, like Kaepernick, like Kareem, like Willie O'Ree, like Fritz Pollard, like Paul Robeson. They use their platform as being great athletes. To help move the society, just like Otis Redding did with his music, just like Sam Cooke did with his music, just like James Brown did with his music, just like Motown did with their music, just like Stax Record did with theirs, just like um, oh my goodness gracious, Dudley uh, Dudley Wood oh Nat King Cole, thank you very much, Dudley Cole, that's what I'm thinking about. Just like Nat King Cole, we have different places in terms of where we get to. Arthur Ashe did it with his tennis. Althea Gibson did it with her tennis. Muhammad Ali did it with his boxing. Willie O'Ree did it with hockey. Small steps, each contributing to move forward. You know, if you got to make five million dollars to get somewhere, you're not going to be able to do it by asking one person to give you five million dollars, right? And we're speaking about those campaigns. What are these? presidential candidates talk about, hey man, contribute, 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 right? Isn't that what Bernie Sanders was talking about? I don't need big time donors to get to the high number of donations, the high amount of numbers that I can have for my campaign when he was running for president. I've got people who are giving me $5, $10, $15, $20, $2, $5, $3.86, $4.25. I've got those and it adds up and it accumulates to where it gets to the place where you want to go. Yes. Can Bubba Wallace have the same effect on society 30 years from now that Jackie, Robinson, that Jackie Robinson did, that Joe Lewis did, that Muhammad Ali did, that possibly LeBron James did? No, <laughs> may, may probably not. But guess what? His contribution, his conviction, his willingness to stand for what he believes in, to help change, to help change for the better, to help move the sport of NASCAR of all places, where there's not... Really, a diverse field. That helps in a small way. That helps. You know, people sit there and talk about, well, what impact has the Williams sisters had? When you take a look at the uh, amount of black tennis stars on the female side of things, since Serena and Venus came to the um, came to play tennis, and they were prodigies, and the story that they had remarkable, unbelievable. But what impact have they had when people take a narrow minded look? To say that, well, I don't see the next Venus Williams. I don't see the next Termina Williams, a.e., a black girl who's going to be dominating for years to come. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. The point is because of the Williams sisters coming on tour and doing what they had to do and going through that bullshit that they had to go through with Indian Wells and having to go through all of the ignorance and the stereotypes and the bigotry and the racism that they face, not just here in America, but when they traveled all over the world. And people looked at them almost like a curiosity, because when you had these tennis tournaments all over the world, you didn't have too many black women out there playing, for the most part. And then the Williams sisters came out there, and they came out there with their father, who was boisterous, and who was out there, and in your face, and then you had these girls with these braids, and you had this incredible story behind them, and where they came from, and. The fact that they didn't go to Dick voluntary school to get great, and these girls weren't playing tennis by the time they were 11 years old, turning pro like Andrea Yeager or Tracy Austin or anything like that. So not only were people curious and compelled by their story, but also because of the fact that they were black. So they took the time to get to know these girls, and the better that they got, and Venus started winning championships and becoming number one in the world. And then Serena became the greatest tennis player who ever lived. I'm sorry, Martina Navratilova or Margaret Court. She became the greatest tennis player who ever lived, speaking of Serena Williams. All of a sudden now, other folks from other places around the world, all of a sudden, maybe they started changing their thoughts and their thought patterns about what black folks were all about, what black women were all about. Serena and Venus changed the minds. They changed people's thinking, not just at Indian Wells, not just down in Florida, not just at New York and with the U.S. Open, all over the world. That all of a sudden now people were starting to all of a sudden take a look differently at black folks like me and like Mikel Davis and like Sidney Davis and like Mark Lawrence and like everybody else and like Flavius Gallagher and all the folks and all the black folks that I know, like Kevin Hamilton, all the other folks that all of a sudden now people are looking at us a little bit differently in terms of, oh, okay, I used to have this thought pattern about you guys, I used to have this ignorant stereotype about you guys. But because of the Williams sisters and my love for the Williams sisters, it kind of got me a little bit more educated to have me learn that, oh, those stereotypes that I was taught, those really aren't true. So, okay, we're not judging the impact of the Williams sisters based on how many black women tennis players are dominating the sport. That's not how you judge the impact of the Williams sisters. You judge the impact of the Williams sisters by how they've changed that maybe the folks that are on the tour right now who are not black, but because they were influenced, because Serena and Venus were their idols, the fact that they learned that, you know what? Because they're my idols, I can't have the same thoughts and everything that people around my neighborhood or people around my area or people around my community have. Because I take a look at Venus, and I take a look at Serena, and I take a look at them, and I listen to them, and I watch them play tennis, and I see how graceful they are, and I see how strong they are, and I see how bold they are, and I see how outspoken they are, and I see how strong they are as women, not just black women, but women in general. Wow, this is just unbelievable, and I see how intelligent they are, and I see how Venus is fighting for equal rights, and I see that she's becoming the most influential tennis player right up there with Billie G King and Martina Navratilova and all them type of folks. Man, my stereotype, not just of black folks, but as women in general, they're changing. And that's just my long, rambling, but truly educated and entertaining way to say that's the same thing with Bubba Wallace. Bubba Wallace, I'm not expecting 10 years from now, and NASCAR fans, you can take a deep breath on this. I'm not thinking that 10 years from now, that in a crowd of 30 cars. I don't even know how many cars race for NASCAR, but I'm just going to throw out an arbitrary number. I'm not saying that, you know... 15 years from now, then in a field of 30 cars, you're going to have 20 black drivers and five Hispanic black drivers, or five Hispanic drivers and two Asian and one white. Don't worry, NASCAR. Y'all ain't going to turn into the NBA or the NFL. Don't worry about that. But yet and still, those drivers and those 30 cars, let's say for instance in 20 years, if those 30 cars, if 26, of those drivers in those cars are white, three are black, one is Hispanic, and out of the four minorities, only one of them really has a chance to win. But because of Bubba Wallace, while you might not see the explosion of great drivers and black folks and minorities overtaking the sport in terms of what you see and what you're being presented as, these athletes in these cars driving, but you know what? But because of Bubba Wallace, you'll see more diversity in the, fans, in the stands. You'll see more black folks in the stands. You'll see more Asian folks in the stands. You'll see more blacks and Asians and gays and lesbians and the pit crew. You'll see more women as far as being associated with the sport. So because of that, those people who are in the stands, those white folks who are sitting next to those black folks cheering on that white driver to win a race, it's coming from love. It's coming from education. It's coming from tolerance. It's coming from learning about each other. That if you can go down to... Maybe there's someone in New York City. Maybe there's someone in Detroit, Michigan. Maybe there's someone in Cleveland, Ohio who wants to go down to Talladega. Who wants to go down to the Daytona Speedway. And because of Bubba Wallace, 20 years from now... And the improvements that he made in race relations and the small way that he did because of the stand that he's taking right now with the National Anthem, maybe that person who's living on the south side of Chicago, maybe that person who's living in Flint, Michigan, maybe that person who's living in the black neighborhoods of Cleveland and Cincinnati and and, and, and um, Boston, Massachusetts and never in, in the southeast side of Washington, D.C., maybe because of Bubba Wallace, not only do they fall in love with the sport, maybe Because of Bubba Wallace, they fell in love with the sport, but because of that, they feel comfortable enough to go down to Talladega, to go down to Daytona, to go down to those places and not have to worry about being discriminated against or being lynched or being uh, harassed or being, uh, you know, those type of things in the next 15, 20 years. So that's the impact I'm talking about with Bubba Wallace. And that's the reason why, hopefully, because of the stand that he's taken, just like Jackie Robinson. When Bubba Wallace was doing his thing, he was doing this alone. LeBron and those guys in the NBA, God bless him. I love what they're doing. Malcolm Jenkins in the NFL, God bless him. I love what he's doing. Colin Kaepernick, a true hero, God bless him. I love what he's doing. I love what he's all about. But he's got some backup. he got some other brothers in that locker room who are going to be sitting there talking about, yeah, man, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what it's all about. We're experiencing this every single day with you. You understand? Because we're teammates. Bubba Wallace has nobody of skin folks like him down there fighting for him, down there fighting with him. He is the face of the vitriol, of the anger, of the racist venom that's coming his way. He is that person. Nobody else. Tony Stewart and Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch, God bless you, man. I love you. Love what you're doing. Love what you're doing. And I feel really sincere. I feel that you're very sincere in that. And wanting to change the sport for the better, wanting to improve the relationships between the races through the sport. I have no doubt about it, I hope, that you guys are truly sincere. It really does seem like you are. But you're not going to be taking the ire. You're not going to have the one that's going to have the noose being placed in your garage. You're not the one that's going to be called a nigger. You're not the one that I'm quite sure the hate mail that Bubba Wallace is getting and the tweets and everything that he's getting. Kyle Bush and Tony Stewart and all those type of folks, they will not have to go through that bullshit. Bubba Wallace does. And he's going to have to go through that alone. So, once again, Jackie Robinson, just like Jackie Robinson did, just like Jack Johnson did when he was the only black champion out there in the boxing world for a long time at the turn of the century. Just like Joe Lewis had to do. Just like um, uh, uh, Chuck Cooper and Sweetwater Clifton when they were the first players drafted by the NBA. The first black players to play in, in the NBA. You know, Just like um, Marion Motley when he was one of the first black players to play in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. I've got to go through this alone almost. Got to go through this alone. You can have some help from others, but when everything comes down to it, Bubba Wallace is going to be that guy. So, yeah, everyone involved in NASCAR, man, drivers, pit crews, sponsors, advertisers, upper management, just continue to show these large-scale displays of unity, man. Just keep going, just keep going, just keep going because y'all ain't not the world. We know this. Everybody knows this. You know this. I know this. Anybody with a brain in their head knows this. Even those who don't have a brain in their head know that uh, we ain't at utopia yet. We ain't at victory lap, victory lane yet. Concerning this matter with NASCAR, the hate, the hostility, the ignorance, the intolerance, the racism, them folks, them elements, they ain't going away. Just like they ain't going away from the, the police department, they ain't going away from those institutions that promote racism. They're not going away from those news media outlets that promote divisiveness and racism and intolerance and white privilege. NASCAR ain't ain't gonna be the utopian diverse society that many people, that Bubba Wallace and the drivers and the pit crew and the president of NASCAR wants it to be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Shit, shall I say next decade? But man, as long as we keep making progress, you're always going to have these jackasses like, say, for instance, Dustin Skinner. You heard of this motherfucker, Dustin Skinner, the son of former NASCAR star Mike Skinner. Never heard of him. He, comp- he uh, this guy, Dustin Skinner, competed in one NASCAR Craftsman Truck Race series race in 2008. So basically, he's a nobody as far as the sport is concerned of relevance. So this is what he tweeted concerning the matter. He said, "When they were talking about the noose." and the FBI finding out that it wasn't a hate crime. After the news had broke, and after everything was put into place in terms of this exactly what happened in terms of was it a hate crime or wasn't a hate crime, Dustin Skinner went on Twitter and he said, I grew up watching NASCAR in my living room before my dad ever made it to NASCAR. We were Dale Earnhardt fans, then my dad became Dale's teammate. I know it's not what you guys want to hear, but my hat is off to those, my hat is off to who put the noose at the car. Frankly, I wish they would have tied it to him and drug him around the pits because he has single-handedly destroyed what I grew up watching and cared about for 30 years now. I will not watch this sport anymore, and that's sad, go NASCAR. I hope that scumbag piece of shit was worth what he started and then the tweet ended. Now the tweet has since been deleted And this is what his father, Mike Skinner, tweeted. He said, Dustin Skinner is my son, and he's an amazing father and amazing man. He's also a full-grown adult. His views are not the same as Angie and myself. We support Bubba in his whole career. We don't like what's going on in our country any more than anybody else. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if I would ask Mike Skinner exactly what do you mean you don't like what's going on in the world right now. You don't like the fact that black people are being murdered by police. You don't like that black people are being um, uh, disrespected, that black people are being discriminated against, or you don't like the fact that the Confederate flag is being taken down from your sport and you guys are starting to move into the 21st century. I don't know exactly which one. After what your son tweeted, I think it's proper, I think it's kosher to ask that question. It's kind of general when you say, we don't like what's going on in our country after what your son did sorry i have to get a little bit more information i have to get you have to be a little bit more specific in terms of what don't you like what's going on in this country what don't you like what's happening in this country the tweet from the dad which made no sense to me is where he said dustin uh, dustin skinner is my son and he's an amazing father and amazing man let me read to you again some of what this amazing man and what this amazing father tweeted then was so gutless and so cowardly and so lacking in conviction, he took it down and had his Twitter page deleted. All right, let me tell you what, let me once again read to you what this amazing man and father said. Uh, I know you guys, I know it's not what you guys want to hear, but my hat is off to who put the noose at the car, at his car. Frankly, I wish I, frankly, I wish they would have tied it to him and drug him around the pits because he has single-handedly destroyed what I grew up watching and cared about for 30 years now. So yes, anybody who fucks up your sport, anybody who ruins the viewing privilege for you should be fucking tied to a fucking car and drug around. Amazing guy he is, amazing father he is. Did you show that to your fucking kids? Mike, is that what you're teaching? Or Dustin, is that what you're teaching to your kids? If you don't get your way, Wish for the person to be tied to a fucking noose and dragged on the back of a car, if you don't get your fucking way. Is that is that what a, an amazing father is supposed to say? Is that what is that? That's an amazing man. It's amazingly stupid. It's amazingly ignorant. It's amazingly racist. It's amazingly pathetic. So I don't I don't get that shit. Sorry, amazing father and amazing man. Sorry, <laughs> not in my book. Amazingly ignorant, amazingly selfish, amazingly, amazingly bigoted. So wow, that's that's you know that that shit right there is still going to continue, and that shit ain't going away. And I'm quite sure not many, not many. And I'm not going to sit there and paint a broad brush. I'm quite sure it's a small minority, but I'm quite sure that small minority was kind of like yeah, 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 D skin. That's what I'm talking about. Drag that nigger through the streets. Can't even use the Confederate flag no more. Divisive. He's divisive. The same people that will call Bubba Wallace a nigger are the ones who are talking about him being divisive. He's the one that's ripping the race apart. He's the one that's tearing this country apart. That nigger Bubba Wallace. You get that? How, How did that work? How in some way, somehow? Now, of course, those people would never say that to my face. They would never say it to your face. They would never say it to your face. But within their friends, Within those who speak like that and who have those types of thoughts and feelings, oh, they throw that N-word around. I'm quite sure they throw it around quite, quite frequently when they're hanging out with their boys or their gals or their sons or their daughters or their parents or their grandparents or their, or their cousins or their nieces and nephews. Oh, I'm quite sure that they throw that shit around frequently, the N-word. And within throwing that word around after watching Laura Ingram after listening to Rush Limbaugh, after watching Michael Savage, after they got it on the OAN network, after they're up there watching that type of bullshit and that type of lies and that type of this, I'm quite sure they're up there as they're throwing out that N-word, talking about that N-word, that N-guy, Bubba Wallace, destroying the country, ruining the country, tearing the races apart, tearing the fabric of this country apart. Interesting, very, very interesting, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad. If you could be with us. So the sport needs to continue. Speaking of NASCAR, need to continue to show the support for Bubba Wallace, man. It really does. Because again, if you need any more evidence, go to the Twitter comments. Another comment from stories, from stories about uh, Wallace and NASCARs, and the stories about the vitriol concerning uh, Bubba Wallace. Just check the comment page. Just check. I just check all that kind of stuff. I checked the comment section from the story with Dustin Skinner and what he said, folks were sitting there talking about, well, you know, Bubba Wallace, he's the one that's, you know, really ruining the, he's the one that's, you know, bringing all this stuff out. He's the one that's, you know, he still bringing up the news issue and everything like that, not taking any any responsibility, the high majority of them. So this is still a situation where we need to be vigilant, we need to be persistent and again, every single thing... And I, I, I said it on my last podcast. Let every voice and sing till earth and, angels, till earth and heaven rings. The Black National Anthem. let every voice and sing. Fuck it. Do it at a NASCAR event. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning you'll get booze. You'll get hissing. You'll get all types of nonsense. You'll get people flipping out and wigging out and losing their minds. But uh, I think it would be a great idea. And again, you know, the Black National Anthem is for everybody. Just like the National Anthem is for... America itself, the Black National Anthem also should be for everything that stands for America moving forward. But I already talked about that in my other podcast, but yeah. So for NASCAR, as I end the discussion about NASCAR, hopefully for the last time in a long time, hey, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Bubba, keep doing what you're doing. Help us. Help us in any way that you can. Help us, help every community, Help as many people as you can through your sport. Grow, learn, listen, and become the solution to the problems of what ill America today. World of Sports. I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the NBA season is going to be starting July 30th. The first two games back are going to be New Orleans versus Utah. The Los Angeles Lakers versus the Los Angeles Clippers. Welcoming back the season for everybody for for the greatness of the wonderfulness of the NBA returning. Utah in New Orleans the return of Zion Williamson, the Lakers and Clippers. We've got Kawhi, LeBron, A.D., Paul George. Ah, it's gonna be something. There's a schedule for July 31st. They're gonna have six games, and some of the more meaningful games, you've got the Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis holds a uh, leads Portland and New Orleans and Sacramento by three and a half games and San Antonio by four games. And games that are going to be shown on ESPN that day are going to be the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks, the Houston Rockets, and then the Dallas Mavericks. The NBA regular season now is going to be lasting from July 30th till August 12th. Man, I'm, 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 I'm good. 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 I can't even, I don't even know how to prognosticate. I don't even know what it's going to look like when we come back. I don't know. Now, my first thought was. That, you know, how many of these guys are going to come back out of shape? How many guys are not going to be ready to play? I think for the most part, I don't think that's going to be a real issue. Now, I think all of these guys are going to have to take some time to get into basketball playing shape. In just terms of your cardio, just terms of, you know, maintaining your health, just in terms of maintaining some type of exercise during this hiatus that they had, I think the majority of NBA basketball players, mainly the ones who we need to have them do something in terms of having their team win basketball games, having their teams having a chance to win championships, I think those guys have kept themselves in shape. But just in terms of getting their legs under them to play NBA basketball, and then when you're speaking about the regular season being so short or the resumption of the NBA season being so short to get to the playoffs... Man, I don't know. I don't know how these guys exactly are going to do this in terms of being NBA caliber playoff ready. It's not going to be the same type of level as far as the NBA playoffs are going to be concerned as we're used to seeing just because of the stoppage. So that'll be, I, I just, I don't know. And we're again, we're speaking about an entirely different environment. So yeah, we could take a look because just to recap where we left off when the NBA went on hiatus on March 11th, the Lakers, the Los Angeles LeBrons, lead the second-place Los Angeles Kawhis by five and a half games. And the third-place Denver Jokic, Nikola Jokic's, by seven games. The Lakers currently hold the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Nuggets, their main competition. For the Lakers, looks like it's going to be the Los Angeles Clippers. And in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks have the best record in the NBA by four games and lead the Eastern Conference by six games over the Toronto Raptors, the third place Boston Celtics, who ended the season before or, you know, when the season broke, they were 43 and 21. They trailed the Raptors by three games and lead the fourth place Miami Heat by two and a half games. Toronto has also won two of his three head-to-head meetings with Boston. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Kind of take a look at where we left off in the race for the number eight spot in the Western Conference, the Portland Trail Blazers. Who are 29 and 37? You have the New Orleans Pelicans, who are 28 and 36. The Sacramento Kings, also 28 and 36, are all basically tied in the standings, three and a half games behind the eighth-seeded Memphis Grizzlies. But because the Trailblazers played two more games than either the Sacramento Kings or the Memphis Grizzlies, they own a winning percentage tiebreaker of like you know like point zero 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 one percent. So if the standings held, Portland would advance to play in the play-in series against Memphis. So what the NBA is doing, they're doing everything humanly possible to try to get Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans in the playoffs. So they're the only participating team whose opponents have a sub-500 combined winning percentage. But you also have to remember, when the season ended, or when the season was shut down this season, New Orleans had by far the league's easiest remaining schedule. So, yes, while they're looking to see what they can do to get the New Orleans Pelicans into the playoffs, it's not a situation where they're they're, they're, they're on purpose trying to give them the easiest route possible. You know, they're not saying, yeah, we're going to bring back the Golden State Warriors, and Golden State, do you mind leaving Steph Curry and Draymond Green and others behind and bringing your G League team so we can see... So we can play the Pelicans, oh, I don't know, like 14 times to see what we can do to get them into the playoffs. So it'll be interesting. My main deal, especially when we're speaking about that Thursday, July 30th, the first game back, I'm really going to be interested to see how healthy is Zion. Because the list of injuries since being drafted have been long for Mr. Williamson. He played only a few minutes during his summer league debut, and he bruised his knee, was forced to miss the remainder of the summer league action, And if you remember, he was also way out of shape coming into the summer league. Remember when he got that rebound or the one guy underneath the basket, I forgot who they were playing, but he got that rebound and Zion just kind of said, give me that shit. And he dunked it on him and flexed and everything. And that was the highlight of the summer league. And after that, again, he got that knee injury and being cautious and being concerned about the long-term health of Zion that David Griffin, the GM of the Pelicans, said, time to shut it down, shut it down. So because of that, injury he didn't play in any more summer leagues summer league games and again he was out of shape you know he took the world win tour in terms of being the number one pick and having all of the attention and the spotlight and the praise and the glory thrust upon him and so when he came to play in Vegas he was definitely out of shape i think that was the same night that uh, we experienced a earthquake out here quite interesting night that day so or that that evening so zion's nba debut it was pushed because of a knee injury he suffered in a preseason game, I think it was against the San Antonio Spurs. so he was tearing up preseason and I remember sitting here saying, big fucking deal, let me see what he does in a regular season other than the preseason. Well, I think he injured it against the, he injured his knee against the San Antonio Spurs on October 13th in a preseason game which caused him to miss the first four months of the season, which was a total of 45 games and when he did come back in, and when he was ready to play, physically able to play, I would say just taking a look at Zion during that time period, that he looked about oh about eighty percent healthy wise. He was still overweight. He had a brace on his knee. I mean, he really was. He was on a time uh, uh, schedule where he could only play a certain amount of minutes. So it was it was teasing, but it was just like I, I want to see more. I got to get more. Don't I, just, don't show me this. I was almost. In the camp, the minority camp, when he came to Zion, to like, maybe y'all should just shut him down. I mean, maybe y'all should just go ahead, just, he, he, he got some games in, he showed y'all what he could do, just shut him down right now, get him fully healthy, and then have him come back for the uh, 2020 21 season, whooping ass, taking names, and physically be in the same shape or even better shape than he was when he was tearing it up at Duke University. But uh, this pandemic came along, shut down the season. Now you're speaking about, you know, coming back in July, so all of April, all of May, all of June, we're speaking about Zion has had over three months to get himself ready to play NBA basketball. And according to the Pelican GM, David Griffin, Williamson is in great shape. That's what he's saying. He said Zion has been diligent about taking care of himself. He's in a good space physically and mentally. And another team source... For New Orleans said he's going to shock some people, which is awesome. Which is exactly what the league wants him to do. Because he is the era parent. I have mentioned this before on many podcasts before this whole pandemic hit, before the spotlight, before the star issue and topic was placed on what athletes can do as far as social justice is concerned and everything. My thing concerning the NBA was you have now almost like the beginning of the changing of the guard. And It's happened, especially with Spotlight is Strong, when Jordan was nearing the end of his reign. And you had people talking about, hey, man, who's going to be that next guy? Who's going to be the next guy to take the torch and be that next Michael Jordan? Who's going to be that guy that's going to do what Jordan did as far as, you know, elevating the league and putting the league out there for fans all across the world to love the sport? Who's going to be that guy? Who's going to be the ambassador? Who's going to build that brand? Who's going to be that global icon? that Michael Jordan was, that Magic Johnson was, that Larry Bird was. Who's going to be that guy? And there was a lot of people who came through the ranks. There was a lot of people who came through the pipe. One of the guys I'm going to be talking about here in a few minutes just announced his retirement after 22 years in the NBA. But there were so many people out there, Kobe and Harold Miner and... Oh shit, I don't know everybody out there, but I was trying to be Michael, the next Michael Jordan, Jerry Stackhouse. I remember there was some talk about him. Everybody was talking about who's going to be that guy? Who's going to be that guy? And when exactly does that take place? When does the formation, when does the growth period begin in terms of starting to kind of take some of the spotlight away from this person and kind of blend it over toward that person. Take it over from the established star, from the established global icon, while we still deify and while we still get from the the large amounts of time and space and glory and all those type of things. When do we start building that next superstar so that transition can be as seamless and short as possible? And I think we saw With Jordan, we saw that with Kobe Bryant. We saw that this is the guy that we're going to start maneuvering to take Michael Jordan's place when he finally retires, especially when Jordan was getting near the end of his career, especially when Jordan was talking about this was going to be the last year, speaking about 1998, where he said, you know, this is going to be my last dance playing for the Chicago Bulls and playing in the NBA. So the league was starting to kind of get those ducks in order, so when he retired... Kobe could be there and start his ascension to where Jordan would be and hopefully he would take it over to the next level just like Jordan did when he took that torch from first Larry Bird and then Magic Johnson so LeBron came through and LeBron took though just the entire by story he took torches, he took fence posts he took sheds, he took lawnmowers he took living room furniture he took the chimney he took everything in terms of what he did because LeBron is going to go down as one of the one of the most historical players in NBA basketball. Not just, a, not just one of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player in NBA history, but when everything is all said and done, and you take a look at the impact on all levels that LeBron has had throughout his stellar NBA career going into his, what, 17th season now? He's in the 17th season. There's going to be a situation where he, he's already up there in terms of the impact that he's had in sports, He's already up, up there with the impact that guys like Oscar Robertson and Bill Russell and, 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 and um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and all those guys have had. As far as the impact socially that LeBron James has had on the world through his playing basketball in the NBA, he has far, far, far exceeded Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was an awesome basketball player who sold, who sold uh, uh, sneakers. LeBron James is an awesome basketball player who helped move the thoughts and feelings and stereotypes of everything of folks in the community. That's awesome. That's awesome. Michael Jordan did it in a different way. He did it by not fucking with Republicans and not getting under their ire and, and being, by being a great basketball player. I think LeBron's impact was much more meaningful. So but that's another argument for another time. But what I'm trying to get to is the fact that so with LeBron now in his 17th season, How many more years does he have? Realistically, the LeBron that we know of right now, I know that physically, or right now, I know that as far as his game is concerned, if he's not the MVP, I mean, what, he's, what, second? At the very, 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 very least, he's third? I mean, you could put Giannis up there, but other than that, what other competition does LeBron have this year in terms of who is the best player in the NBA? It's either him or Giannis. So... True, and as much as he loves to gain as much, putting a million dollars a year into his ability to stay healthy and everything, going on 35 years of age, we can see LeBron maybe be at this level for another, what, two, three years possibly, but sooner or later, you're going to have to start making that transition, start making that move, so when LeBron does fall off just a little bit, and he maybe goes, falls down in his 22nd, 23rd year to be in a number, the, the eighth best player in the world, or maybe the he doesn't make the first or second all-team NBA, that's where Zion is going to be there to take that mantle, to take that torch in the run with it. It's either going to be him, Giannis, or Luka. Those are the three guys I predicted that are going to uh, be the next LeBron, are going to be the next Kobe, going to be the next MJ, going to be the next Dr. J, going to be the next Bill Russell, going to be the next Wilt Chamberlain, going to be the next George Mikan, going to be the next Elgin Baylor, going to be that next guy who's going to help carry the league. I think Zion, Giannis, and Luka are going to be vying for that number one spot if they stay relatively healthy for the next, I don't know, we're speaking about what, 8 to 10 to 12 years. So all of that is just to say that I was surprised when the Pelicans were continuing to play Zion as much as they were. But I'm just interested to see now, with the league coming back, if Zion is healthy, if Zion is going to be a monster. Again, we've never seen a physical specimen like Zion Williamson. That includes Shaquille O'Neal. That includes... Wilt Chamberlain. That includes, back in his day, Elgin Baylor. That includes Dr. J leaping over tall buildings in a single bound. That includes Michael Jordan. That includes probably the unique, the most unique basketball player in NBA history, LeBron James, a guy who was 6'8", 260 pounds, and was an athletic freak, an athletic marvel. LeBron was that guy. Zion, I think, is even more unique as an athlete than LeBron was because we're speaking about a guy who's 6'6", 285 pounds. I mean, this is like Charles Barkley on steroids, PED times 50 in terms of what he could do. This is like Blake Griffin shot out of a fucking cannon in terms of what his athleticism is if he can stay healthy. So if David Griffin is talking about Williamson is in great shape and the team sources are saying that he's going to shock some people, I'm ready to be shocked. Shock me. Because it was, It's unbelievable. As far as what Zion could be if everything goes together, and I've mentioned it before, it'll be interesting to see exactly where he finally lands as far as his optimum weight is concerned to handle the athletics, the athleticness, and explosiveness that he has. The kid is what 18, he's still a kid, he's not even a full fledged adult yet. So he's what 19, maybe 20 years old. So, probably from like 19 to 23, 24. If he can stay relatively healthy, this guy's going to be a fucking athletic marvel. I mean, this guy's going to be doing some unbelievable shit. This guy, if he's going to dominate, he's going to be dominating because of his physicality. It won't be because of his game. It'll be because of his physicality. Because the NBA, I don't think... Well, the NBA, I know, hasn't seen anything like this. And there's not another Zion Williamson or even someone close to a Zion Williamson coming down the pike. Unless some high school football player right now who's on the offense or defensive line who's about 6'3", 265 pounds as a ninth or 10th grader in high school, decides he wants to switch up and play basketball instead of football. Outside of that, I don't see anybody coming down the pike who can even come close to matching the athleticism or the genetic profile or the athletic profile that Zion Williamson has. So from 19 to 23, man, just like Blake Griffin during that time period, there, there was a certain couple of years where... Blake Griffin was just killing people with his athletic ability. He couldn't shoot, couldn't dribble, didn't have a three-point shot. But, I mean, this guy was dunking over everybody. Everybody. Cars, everybody, everything. Zion Williamson is going to be that guy until his game, until his maturity, until his skill level kind of catches up. And the way that he plays so full out and so hard – every game meaningful and as far as his output and outlet is concerned, that by the time he hits 26, 27, that athleticism that we know Zion Williamson to have right now, that's not going to be around anymore. He's going to, uh, he's going to lose that quicker because of his weight, because of just his body frame, because of how he plays so hard. We're hoping that he can compensate with the loss of athleticism. And I'm not saying he's going to fall off the cliff, But I'm saying, instead of having a 47-inch vertical leap, he'll probably go down to a 39- or 41-inch vertical leap. But hopefully, he'll still have that incredible athleticism. Not Uber, not anything that we've seen before, not not mind-blowing athleticism that he has right now. By the time Zion is 26, 27, instead of mind-blowing, he'll just be unbelievable as far as an athlete is concerned. But he'll be able to hit a three-point shot. He'll be able to know how to dribble drive and pull up from 12 feet. He'll be able to have back-to-the-basket moves. He'll be a terror on defense or on a small-ball lineup. He'll be a great rim protector. So hopefully he can evolve into that once. Again, speaking around, I guess, 26, 27 in all actuality, best-case scenario, his unbelievable uber-athleticism starts to dip a little. But I'm just interested to see the beginning of Zion because I feel, again, We were kind of cheated because of the injury, because of the long layoff in terms of him missing the first four months of the season, because of the way that he was limited, because of the fact that when Zion was playing, I mean, you know, this season he was over 300 pounds. Now, I wasn't there to step on the scale. I wasn't there to see the measurements. But, you know, many people in the league were talking about, man, Zion, he's listed at 285. He ain't no damn 285. After coming back from this injury, especially when you're dealing with a knee, I mean, we're speaking about a guy who's probably closer to 310 than he is 285. And he was still getting it done. And he was still showing some great athleticism. And he was still showing that strength and that girth and that intimidation through his physicality that's going to terrorize the league for years to come. Now I want to see what it's going to be like in terms of him being in better shape. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Another thing, speaking about when the NBA comes back July 30th, what about the Philadelphia 76ers? Can they get it together in time? Basically, can they save Brett Brown's job, the head coach? The Sixers right now are 39 and 26. They're tied for fifth place with the Indiana Pacers in the Eastern Conference. They're within striking distance of the Miami Heat. And they're set to play, what well, they're set to play five straight games against five, sub five hundred teams after opening the season against Indiana. So we'll see what happens. I want to know what is the physical status of Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. That's what I want to know. That's going to be the key. Because we all know Joel. He sure do love him ch- some Chick-fil-A's. He is a guy that's overcoming some injuries. He is a guy that's missed a couple of seasons because of those foot injuries. He is a guy that has come into camp out of shape. Now we're speaking about him coming down as far as the pandemic is concerned. How much has Joel Embiid kept himself in shape? Is Joel Embiid ready to play? And I'm not just talking about ready to play in terms of giving him 24 to 30 minutes. How much is Joel Embiid, when the playoffs start, how much is Joel Embiid ready to make that transition from being that the, from being a monster? To be a monster. And to be that, he's got to be in some shape right now. Now, he did an interview with Lauren Rosen of NBA.com. And in the interview, I mean, he was sitting there talking about he's in shape. He's in shape. He's in shape. He said, quote, I've been going at it for the past four weeks, about six times a week, just trying to get a head start, get ready for whatever coming, whatever's coming. I have something to prove. I feel like whenever that opportunity comes, it's going to be my time. All right. I, I've, I've said this before, really. I think Joel Embiid, seriously could be, should be, the most dominant player in the NBA today because of the lack of really, truly quality centers. And don't, sit, don't go back to me about, you know, all oh, the magic of the 1980s and the 1990s. Look, man, you had some really good centers in the 1990s, of course, but when you think about it, what are the first three names that come from your lips when you speak about great, dominating, unbelievable franchise centers in the NBA during that time? In the 1990s You had three You had my main man Patrick Ewing of the New York Knicks You had David Robinson of the San Antonio Spurs And you had Akeem one of the Houston Rockets Other than that There weren't like 15 or 20 great NBA centers The NBA has always Had a dearth of talent When it comes to the NBA centers department It's going all the way back When George Mikan used to dominate the game Why? Because they didn't have anybody For the most part his size On a regular basis to challenge him when Wilk Chamberlain came into the league in 1959, 58, somewhere around there, and he averaged 37 points a game and 26 rebounds a game, something like that, the only person that sort of stand in his way was Bill Russell. Now, throughout the 1960s, it was Bill Russell and it was Wilt Chamberlain. And yet you had people like Walt, Walt Bellamy, yet you had people like Nate Thurman, but for the most part, the NBA just wasn't like, you know, just lavished with great, NBA centers. So always this stuff about, well, the NBA center is gone. The NBA center is no longer around. The NBA center is not what it used to be. There have never, throughout NBA history, take a look, there's never been a plethora of great centers patrolling the middle in the NBA. In the 70s, what, you had Dave Cowens winning an MVP when the man was, what, six foot eight inches tall playing the center position. You had Bill Walton, but he had foot problems. So his career was stifled because of that. You had the great one of the greatest, if not the greatest, basketball player of all time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My man's a superstar like my man, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But other than that, you had Artis Gilmore. You have others. But for the most part, there really wasn't a whole lot of great NBA centers. Moving all the way back up now to present-day NBA, Joel Embiid. He should be the guy. He is the best center in the league in terms of what he should be. Now, you can make a strong argument for Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. Right there, absolutely. But for the most part, you have those two, and who else do you really have? Joel Embiid should be dominating. He has the game, he has the talent, he just doesn't have the mentality, and he just doesn't have the, I don't want to say work work ethic, I don't know Joel Embiid's work ethic, but I guess he doesn't have the fortune of having really good luck in terms of having, you know, of, of, of being sturdy to really go ahead and be the dominant center that he could be i've seen games in the last couple of years when joel is motivated and he wants to dominate and he doesn't give a fuck and he just wants to be the best player who's ever played my man has been dominating i remember a game at that time the golden state warriors yes that golden state warriors in their run with steph and kd and clay and andre And those guys, Draymond, I've, I saw a game where Joel Embiid was killing them. Absolutely, positively, undeniably killing them. And there was nothing, nothing that the Golden State Warriors could do about that. I saw another game on TNT a few years ago where they were playing the Houston Rockets, speaking of the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And Joel Embiid was killing it. Nobody. He was too big. He was too strong. He was too powerful. He was too skilled. He was unstoppable. And it was just one of those nights where I just think, I don't know who pissed him off or I don't know what mindset he was in, but if I'm Brett Brown, I need to find out exactly what mindset he was in and what did he do during the day to get himself to that type of fire, to give himself that type of desire to dominate like he did and I would find out what he did and, through, and every game day or at least in an 82-game schedule, at least 60 to 65 times, bottle that, take it, and go out there and dominate if I'm Joel Embiid. That man should be the most dominant player in the NBA, the most unstoppable player in the NBA today. If he comes in shape, and if he comes in with the right mindset, there is no reason why, even with their lack of chemistry or whatever you want to call it, friendship, whatever you want to say, Even with all of the nonsense that's going on with the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid, by himself, should have the opportunity, if he's right, if he's focused, if he wants to be the the man, if he wants to be that next great center, that could be the guy that could single-handedly lead his team to an NBA championship. I think, in that situation, a healthy Joel Embiid is better, in that situation, could be more dominant than Zion, than Giannis, than LeBron, than anybody, in the quest to get Philadelphia championship. The only situation, the only question is, again, what type of shape is he in physically and mentally? And again he told you know, Lauren Rosen, I'm in great shape. I'm gonna work and this and the other. Have you really dedicated yourself? And we're talking about for the past four weeks. Well, what about for the past three months? What have you been doing? So it'll be interesting to see interesting to see exactly what Joel Joel Embiid. Is going to look like coming back. Wendell's world in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And then we have Ben Simmons. Now, as you know, as you might not know, let me tell you, he missed the last eight games before the season was suspended on March 11th due to a nerve impingement in his lower back. So I guess he posted this, I don't know, he posted something on Instagram where he's been working out for the past eight or nine days in a row with Clutch Sports and... They show him up there doing all these crazy dunks. He's been throwing the ball up in the air, runs over and does these crazy dunks, which is fine, which is nice. I would like to see a video of him being able to hit an 18-footer, being able to hit a 15-footer, an elbow jump shot. That would be awesome. That would be great. But, you know, what his head coach, Brett Brown, told Chris Sports Illustrated Chris Mannix, who does an absolutely fabulous boxing and NBA podcast, what uh, Brown told Mannix was, quote, in my opinion, or in my opinion, And this is not confirmed yet is that we are going to be able to inch him back into this is he going to be 100% I don't expect that but I think he is going to be available I don't know man I mean just that available available that's it hmm I don't know I don't know pound for pound Philadelphia is the most talented team in the Eastern Conference when everyone is available. I mean, you're talking about, as far as talent is concerned, you're talking about Ben Simmons, you're talking about Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Embiid. That is a, our talent alone, that is a pretty devastating lineup. And when they were at home, when they were 29-2, yeah, that was it was unbelievable. But their lack of shooting and everything else, we don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do this. They were great at home, bad on the road. This is a neutral site. And when you have somebody like an Embiid, when you have somebody like that, how is he also going to adjust to the new living environment? That's also going to be interesting to uh, to deal with. So, I don't know, man. As the season gets closer as far as the resumption date is concerned, I'll be talking more and more about it, but I mean, we don't know. How are the Lakers going to be? I don't know what the Lakers... I mean, Avery Bradley is not going to be playing. We don't know what Dwight Howard is going to be playing when the season resumes. So, how does that affect the Lakers? Does that mean board time for Alex Caruso? I don't know. I don't know. What, how how healed up has some of the key players for the Los Angeles Clippers? What about Nikola Jokic who's just coming off um, having uh, corona the coronavirus? That man looks like he lost a ton of weight. Not look like, he has lost a ton of weight. How is that going to affect him going forward? It'll be interesting to see. Marcus Saul of the Toronto Raptors. He lost a boatload of weight. How is that going to hold up? Pascal Siakam, he was starting to slow down a little bit. Can he maintain being the man for the Toronto Raptors moving forward? The tandem of Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum coming back. How are they going to acclimate to the environment and playing conditions out there in Orlando, the living conditions? You have to take into account all that. You know, the living conditions are going to play a huge role. Well, That's why they talk about asterisks. Nah, man, whoever wins this championship is going to go down as one of the most resilient teams in NBA history. As far as this is concerned, to overcome this pandemic, to overcome what's going down in Florida, to overcome everything that's going on on the outside, which could you know, distract from their main goal, their main objective as being basketball players from winning a championship with all the social unrest and everything that's happening in our country right now. For those guys who's ever going to be winning that NBA championship, to stay in that environment, to stay focused, to stay disciplined, to stay hungry, to stay, you know, locked in on what they need to do to win a championship, to do that for three months away from family and friends, away from the routines and everything, to be able to do that? Shit, man, you're going to try to tell me that's somehow, way, going to be an asterisk? That's going to be unbelievable. You're talking about a true champion. When it comes to something like that. So moving forward, those are the type of things on my podcast that are going to be interesting to be speaking about. And who is my podcast? What is my podcast? My podcast is Wendell's World of Sports. The podcast with Wendell Wallace here speaking. Vince Carter announces retirement. 22 years in the league, man. 22 years in the league. Announced his retirement on the Ringers Ringing It with Vince Carter podcast. He said he is officially done playing basketball professionally. He played, eight, he played for eight teams in his 22 years. All right, for $200, please, if you could name the eight teams that Vince Carter played for during his illustrious NBA career. Um, I'll take the Toronto Raptors, ding! The New Jersey Nets, ding! The Orlando Magic, ding! The Dallas Cowboys, I mean Mavericks, ding! Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, ding! The Memphis Grizzlies, ding! Uh... Ah, two more. Ah, oh, ah, oh, I'm sorry. The eight teams that Vince Carter played for in his career were the Toronto Raptors, the New Jersey Nets, the Orlando Magic, the Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings, along with the Memphis Grizzlies and the Atlanta Hawks. So, yeah, there you go, man. So, he's 19th all-time in NBA history of scoring, He was the league's rookie of the year in 1999. He averaged 16 points per game throughout his NBA career. But, of course, when you're speaking about the last five or six or seven years of his NBA career, he never averaged anywhere near. He averaged somewhere around eight points. I think that was his highest output. Other times, he's averaging five. He's averaging four. He's averaging six. So, in all actuality, I mean, this was a guy who is probably more likely somewhere around a 21, 22-point career scorer when his career was right. He averaged over 20 points a game in 10 of his first 11 seasons in in the league. He averaged 25 points in the second year, 27 points in the third year, 24 points in his fourth year. He's a guy that also, I think you could make the strong argument that not Steve Nash, that as far as the love for basketball in Canada, depending upon my mom's situation and what happens in November, my soon-to-be possibly home country. Um, He did just as much, speaking about Vince Carter, to help the sport grow in that country. Um, When, you know, what he did with Toronto. Him, Steve Nash, maybe Tracy McGrady, maybe Chris Bosh now with, you know, guys like Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and, you know, Kawhi Leonard leading the Raptors to their first ever championship and everything. Those are other guys. But just in terms of the trailblazer and the love that the country of Toronto has for Basketball or Toronto, the country of Toronto, the country of Canada, what it has for uh, basketball, and in Toronto in particular, you know, bucket list moment. I would love to go see a playoff game, you know, at Jurassic Park uh, during one well, of my years still on this earth if it's possible. Um, but uh, he, did, he did a lot. He did a whole lot in terms of bringing uh, a level of sport to that country. But the question is is Vince a Hall of Fame player? I'm gonna say no. I put him in the same category as Derrick Rose and Dwight Howard, two guys who at one point in time were considered locks for the Hall of Fame, were considered locks for guys who could transcend the game, locks for guys who could be franchise players and possibly multiple MVPs and NBA champions, and then fell off, whether it was through injury, whether it was through immaturity, whether it was through whatever you know Derrick Rhodes and Dwight Howard never got to the pinnacle of what they should have done with their talent and what their expectations I think that's the same thing with Vince Carter when you take a look at it I think this is a guy in Vince Carter who I guess he's going to be known more for his dunking but I just I just remember for him I just remember the way he quit on Toronto when he wanted to get out of there and it was shameful it was disgusting it was unprofessional. It was terrible. Now, give it up to the good people of uh, Toronto to forgive him. But he was, that was almost as close as an unforgivable act that you could get the way that he basically mailed it in while still being employed by the Toronto Raptors. I still remember him going to New Jersey. And he was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to uplift that franchise, and he never did. And I remember the, flack. remember the flack that he received Game 7 prior to Game 7 when they were facing the Philadelphia 76ers and my boy from Georgetown University, the great Allen Iverson. And Vince Carter decided that he was going to uh, take a plane that morning to go down to a graduation for North Carolina. He was graduating at the University of North Carolina and then he participated in the ceremonies and then he came back for uh, Game 7. And while, was that the reason why Philadelphia won the series or why New Jersey lost? No, of course not, because Allen Iverson was a bad mamma jamma. But still, it was just a distraction that really wasn't needed. And it was just it was just stuff like that. I always felt Vince Carter was a guy who almost had a little Rasheed Wallace in him in terms of, or a little Lamar Odom in him, right? It was a guy who was just like, you know what, I'm kind of good the way I am right now. I don't know if Vince Carter, especially in his younger years, like I mentioned before, the first 10, 11, 12 years of his NBA career, I don't I don't think that... He had, a lot, he had a lot of Michael Vick in him, I think, in terms of... I just think that he was the guy who was coasting a lot on his unbelievable athleticism and winning dunk contests and putting on dunk shows and dunking over Frederick Weiss and keeping him away from joining the New York Knicks when the Knicks drafted him in the first round. I think that was Vince Carter's claim to fame, like... Just think that he was happy with that. I mean, I thought that physically, if he ever put together some type of dedication or some true dedication and desire and passion for the game, taking it to another level, I, I, I thought that Vince Carter, just based on athleticism and just based on the skill set that he had, could have been the best player in the league. He could have been better than Kobe when Kobe was running among, among the league. He could have been better than Paul Pierce and all of those guys, his contemporaries at that time. But for just some reason, I don't know. It just seemed like Vince... Was a guy who was, yeah, I'll work hard and everything, but I'm not really going to push myself. I'm really not going to test myself. I'm really not going to dedicate myself for any long period of time to see what I can do to be the absolute best basketball player I can be. I'm not going to dedicate myself at a maniacal level. In that case, he had a little Andrew Wiggins in him. So maybe, so, you know, that's my thing when it comes to Vince Carter. I think that he's in the. I think maybe you can call him the Jim Marshall of the NFL, of the NBA. I think, just think that he's a very good basketball player. He was a very good NBA basketball player, but Hall of Famer? I don't think so. Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Hello, man. I'm over here. I got... Who do I, what am I watching right now? I'm watching the UFC. Dustin Poirier is going to be fighting Dan Hooker on the main event. Can't wait for that. Dustin Poirier, my man, had a good fight against Khabib Nurmagomedov. See what he can do to get back into the lightweight title contending picture. It'll be, good. It'll be nice to uh, see some really good action tonight. Uh, Am I going to Uber tonight? I don't know, man. I don't know. Hey, man, could y'all do me a favor, though? I mean, damn. Really, because here in Las Vegas, I'll get back to the closing stuff I want to say about the NBA and what they can do moving forward in the bubble and who's not going to be in a bubble, who is going to be in a bubble, the social justice and the coronavirus and being in Orlando with the coronavirus uh, positive test spiking and everything like that. I'll get to that, but it's like for... Because, you know, right now I'm not working for the Clark County School District because, number one, it's the summer. And number two, you know, because of the virus, I haven't been working for the district since March 11th, me being a substitute teacher. So, what used to be my part time job, just to make a few extra bucks if I needed some money or whatever, which was Ubering, has now become my full time job. No Ubers out here at all, by the way. If you're looking to get, I mean, if it's anything past 8 o'clock and um, you're looking to get an Uber ride, uh, good luck to you. You might be waiting a little bit. Because there's a lot of Uber drivers normally, I guess, who are not uh, working right now. But it's like, can I just say one thing to the folks in North Las Vegas? Out here we got Summerlin we got the Southwest side. You know, we got certain areas. We got downtown, we got, you know, Henderson, all these places I go to driving around trying to make a few bucks so I can pay my bills and keep my head above water. One of the main reasons why I haven't done a podcast this week. Some bills unexpectedly came up. I had to go ahead and raise my goal in terms of how much money I need to make, which made me stay on the road a lot more, which made me uh, not being able to um, do my podcast or prepare for my podcast, which is why I'm doing it now, this Saturday afternoon, mid-afternoon. Can the folks from North Las Vegas please do me a favor? Could you please not get in my car smelling like fucking weed? Jesus oh christ man it's like come on y'all do me a little favor will you young young buck young cat got in my car yesterday we're talking about hey are this is this smoke friendly is this car smoke friendly come on man you know is it smoke friendly you realize that possibly i have to go to Summerlin to pick up folks right you know possibly i might have to go to some rich folks area to pick up folks right and if they get into this car and it smells like weed what are they going to assume Either I'm smoking the weed or either someone else in this car is smoking the weed. Who's getting one star? Who's getting reported? No, you cannot fucking light up in my car, motherfucker. Sit your ass back down there, listen to your music, and shut the fuck up and enjoy the ride. Man, every time I go down to North Las Vegas, it's like, oh, shit. Lord fucking knows I'm gonna get I'm gonna get in this car and it's gonna be smelling like Some, mother, some motherfuckers gonna get in my car And it's gonna be smelling like weed and it has nothing To do with it has everything to do With the area of town it had nothing to do With race or anything like that I picked up people from North Las Vegas black white and hispanic They all fucking smell like weed At one time or the other so there is no Like you know there is no Like categorizing Like black folks or mexican folks from Um North Las Vegas, they all smoke weed or some nonsense like that. And I've had some folks, not only I've had some white folks, not only smoking weed, but stink like shit. I mean, they smell like shit. And it's like, I can't pick anybody else up. I can't pick anybody else up in my car because not only does it smell like weed, it smells like shit. Jesus fuck, man. I don't mean to be putting down poor people, but damn! A woman yesterday was up there with a kid. I think she talking about, can, you, can I change my kid's cup? change my kid's diaper in the car. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going three miles. You know, hold on. D- believe me, I'm driving as fast as I can. I got three miles, 10 minutes. Believe me, I'm going through every stoplight. I'm going through every red light. I'm going down the wrong way of a one way street to get the, get you out of here. Get you and your fucking brat out of here because you're already smelling. So this is going to be my last ride of the day, which means that I'm not going to hit my goal because right now it's 6 30 at night and I'm going to drive back, in my car, my my, my, uh, my phone is at 15% usage rate, so I can't even pick up anybody even if I wanted to, so no, I'm not really in a good mood, I'm really not feeling it right now, so no, you cannot change your, your kid's diaper in my fucking 2015 Camry that I love so fucking much. <sighs> Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm going out tonight, possibly, so it's good. After the Dan Hooker, Dustin Poirier fight, I might go out and try to make a few dollars. I might try to get some dinner money tonight. So, ah, it was good to get that rain out of my system before I start picking up people, especially in North Las Vegas. NBA news here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace. So, the NBA and the National Players Association said... That 16 players tested positive for the coronavirus in the first wave of mandatory tests done in preparation for the restart of the season. Of those 16 players, were part of a pool of 302 players tested on Tuesday, which is a 5.3 percent rate of positive tests. Brian Windhorst was on the pod, was on uh, ESPN a couple of days ago. And he was talking about some of the things that might be roadblocks for the NBA and for the NBA players and getting the season done. Basically, this is what he had to say.
1: The situation in Orlando is not looking good. The irony is for a couple of months now, if you flew to Florida from New York, you had to quarantine for 14 days. Now New York is considering applying those uh, those rules to people coming from Florida. So that tells you where this is going. Um, so by Wednesday, we're going to have the results back on hundreds of NBA players who have been tested. And if it's only 5%, as it was in the NFL, the first 200 players tested, only 5% positive the league will be relieved. So while we have the concern about players not feeling comfortable about entering the bubble, uh, not feeling comfortable because of the Black Lives Matter protests that they want to keep the focus on. The real beast here, the real challenge to the NBA is this virus. We'll know a lot more after we see these tests come back, but a lot of this is going to hinge on what's happening in Orlando, and every day we've been getting a little bit upsetting news from Central Florida.
0: Yep, situation in Orlando is not looking good. I don't see it improving. The results came in terms of the percentage of players that tested positive for the virus, it came around five percent of the uh, came around five percent, so it should be happy. And you know, when horse was talking about you know the Black Lives Movement protest and how the players are going to be focused and and all those type of things. So yeah, it'll be interesting moving forward. Now, I mean, the great thing about it is in terms of the players that tested positive. I mean, we're speaking about Malcolm Brogdon, Alex Lynn, Jabari Parker. They acknowledge that they have recently tested positive for the virus, that's the bad news for the league. The good news for the league is that the players who did not test positive for uh, COVID-19, they include LeBron, Zion, Luka, Giannis, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, I I, I don't care. I mean, you know, the league can sit there and talk about, oh, no, we care about everybody and this, that, and the other. And I'm quite sure they do. I don't think the NBA wants anybody to get sick. Of course not. But, let's be for real here. Um, Jabari Parker and, you know, I mean, Nikola Jokic said that he also tested positive for the virus, but um, that was a little while ago. I think that he'll be ready to go when the season starts, but I'm sorry. Malcolm Brogdon, Alex Lenn, Jabari Parker. I mean, it sucks. That you have to have the virus. But believe me, if it came down between those three or LeBron or Zion or Chris Paul or James Harden or Kawhi or Giannis, I think the league is going to be like, well, if we have to have someone test positive for the virus, it might as well be the Jabari Parkers and Alex Lenz of the world rather than the LeBrons and Zions and Lucas of the world. So those superstars are the ones that the league is most concerned about. And you never hear in terms of what is the league going to do? What is the league going to do if Alex Lynn or if Jabari Parker or if the ninth or 10th or 11th guy on the team test positive for the virus? No one's really concerned about that. Again, I don't think the NBA is like fuck it, throw them in the trash and get another one. I don't think the NBA is that cold hearted. They're not the NFL owners. but So I don't think they're going to go down that route. But it's like, look well, as long as we can get through this season and the main guys can stay healthy or the main guys can stay negative in terms of getting the virus, then I'll think we'll be good. I mean, on the Los Angeles Lakers, hey, we don't want to have LeBron coming down with the virus. We don't want to have Anthony Davis coming down with the virus. That would be horrible. If Alice Caruso came down with the virus, if Quinn Cook came down with the virus, if JaVale McGee came down with the virus, yeah, that sucks, but we'll be able to survive. If LeBron or AD come down with the virus, uh, we're in fucking trouble. If, if Zubac for the Clippers come down with the virus, if Marquis Morris comes down, who, I don't know, one of the Boris brothers, one is playing for the Lakers, the other one's playing with the Clippers, right? But if one of the uh, Morris uh, twins, the one who plays for the Clippers, if he comes down with the virus, eh, it sucks. If Kawhi or Paul George comes down with the virus, we're fucked. So that's basically my take with uh, this whole deal about what are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? So there will be some players who are not going to be competing in Orlando when the season resumes. We're talking about, for the Portland Trailblazers, forward Trevor Ariza. Now, ESPN Adrian Wojnarowski dropping them huge bombs, reported that Ariza has been involved in a custody case over a 12-year-old son and mother's choice of granting a court-ordered one-month visitation period during the league's quarantine in terms of Orlando left the Riza to choose those parenting responsibilities over competing in a restart. Understood. Gotcha. The San Antonio Spurs are not going to be with LaMarcus Aldridge, or LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be out for the Spurs. He had a shoulder surgery in April, and he's not physically ready to play or return yet. Avery Bradley, he wants to remain with his family and the well-being of his oldest child, his 16-year-old son, Liam, playing for the Lakers. He's not going to be playing. Liam Bradley has a history of struggling to recover from respiratory illnesses, and it's unlikely that he would have been medically cleared to play or enter the Orlando bubble with his family. So I get that. I understand that, you know, Avery protecting his family. Um, the Washington Wizards, Davis Bertans, according to Walt Janowski and Tim Boutemps, uh entering free agency, off his most productive NBA season, he's also had two ACL injuries in the past. So, basically, Davis is just working. Is just looking out for self. Understood. Um, definitely understand that. Yeah, players who aren't sure if they'll play in Orlando. Dwight Howard. He said in a statement that he would love nothing more than to win my first NBA championship. But until my people, but but the unity of my people would be an even bigger championship. That's just to. That's just too beautiful to pass up. And then we have Kyrie Irving. Now, let's, let's start by saying that Kyrie Irving was not even going to be in Orlando because he's injured. So he's going to be out after undergoing shoulder surgery in March. So he's been one of the most vocal players along with Avery Bradley. But Irving's been one of the most vocal players in recent weeks. I mean, he's making it clear that playing basketball is not the thing to do right now. Because of what's going on in this country with the George Floyd situation, with the social arrest, with the need for those who have that platform, for those who have the visibility, for those who have the means to go out there and try to make a difference in the streets to uh, fight for social injustice. So what Irving said during a recent call with the players, he said, I don't support going to Orlando. I'm willing to give up everything I have for social reform. So according to Stephen Bondi of the New York Daily News, Irving said the Nets should skip the NBA's restart at Disney World during a group chat with his teammates. He also proposed the idea that players start their own league. No! <laughs> don't, 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 don't. Hey, look, man, owners own, players build their brands, get their money, get their influence, build their platform to make changes in this world, and do their thing. I don't know. The uh, Players need to be playing. Owners need to be owners. And everybody take the advantages which each one of those positions give and go for self. Kyrie Irving, no, don't, no, 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 man. Go ahead and play. Go ahead and play. So, as reported by Adrian Wojcicki and Malika Andrews of ESPN, Irving and Los Angeles guard Avery Bradley, as I mentioned before, help organize their player coalition in an effort to give a voice to anyone who is reluctant to speak out about concerns with the league's restart plan. I, I, no question, no problems with that. No problems with that. I mean, I love sometimes that Irving can be the fly in the ointment or the fly in the buttermilk or fly in the soup or whatever analogy you want to use for food. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I like the fact that Irving keeps these guys on their toes and giving options and stuff. You know, and he's right. He's right. These problems and issues concerning the black community, I mean, they ain't going away after the protesting for the murder of George Floyd. They're not. But then also, you have to understand that people do need to go back to work. I'm not quite sure there are many people who would like to forego their job situation right now and go out and fight for social justice. But unfortunately, they have bills to pay. Unfortunately or fortunately, they have the opportunity to make sure that their children are taken care of, that they have food on the table, that they have a roof over their head. So as much as they would like to abdicate the responsibility of going to work and working a nine to five with a way to make a living, don't call me Dolly Parton. there's also the you know, situation where, you know, real life problems, grown up situations, grown up responsibilities, I gotta take I gotta take uh I got to take, uh, take them first. So, you no, know, I I understand what Kyrie is saying, but also I think there should be a way. And look, the NBA, the owners are talking about, well, the only, let's not forget that the only reason why the NBA is coming back because the owners need to make their money and this, that, and the other. Well, let's, let's, let's also remember that none of these players, our arms are being twisted in terms of them coming back. The players who want to come back and play. The superstars who want to come back and play. They all want to play. Russell Westbrook is not protesting coming back to play. James Harden is not complaining about going back to play. LeBron James is not tweeting about how he's being made to come back to play. Kawhi Leonard is not being apprehensive in terms of his willingness to want to come back and play. You know, the majority of guys want to resume the season. And I think that the NBA, from the get-go, has put it into the hands of the players and say, hey, look, you know what, if none of you guys want to come back, then we need to cancel the season, we'll go ahead and do that. But I think from the get-go, when this first happened, that the NBA and its players were willing to come back, were wanting to come back. So no one here is twisting the arms or making these NBA players want to come back. And the situation for the NBA owners and such, they put in place to say, if you don't want to play... If because of any situation whatsoever, you don't have to play. Now, if you're going to go ahead and protest, you're not going to get paid. Or if you're going to go ahead and do other things, and, and and that's the reason why you're not going to be playing, you're not going to get paid for it. But if you have some underlying condition which would increase your risk of contracting the COVID-19 virus and you have a medical report or your doctor's report or a doctor's note or whatever you want to call it that says that, you know, the risk of you kept contracting this virus is increases in this situation and can be deadly and can be a real risk to your health, health you can go ahead, not come to the bubble, and still get paid. So I, I think it's been a pretty good situation for the players to be put in in terms of uh, their choices that they can make and, and don't feel that they need to make a choice that they're not comfortable or happy with. So if Kyrie and those guys and maybe Bradley and those guys and anybody else in those guys want to go ahead and go out on the streets or do what you need to do to fight social injustice, go for it. Fantastic. Kyrie has made plenty of money to where if he doesn't come back and and play, and I don't even know, even with the injury, I think he still might get paid. I think in a situation like that, he, he still might get paid because, as I mentioned before, with him being unable to play because of the injury to his shoulder that he was getting paid, even um, even before that, so if him and Kevin Durant and others and anybody else and um, Dwight Howard or everybody else who Dwight Howard made a boatload of money throughout his career, if he feels that uh, you know what, doing the good for the community is more important or takes precedence over fighting for a championship in basketball, hey man, I, I go for it. I think that's awesome. I think that's really wonderful. I mentioned before, you know the the the, the turn in the anger and the thoughts and comments and actions and threat of violence and destruction, you know, I I think everything in terms of what's happening with the protesting, I've said it before and I say it again, once the protesting and the marching is over, as as James Brown said, once the protesting and the marching is over, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? How are you going to keep the momentum? What's going to be happening? And I tell you one thing, this shit still ain't over. There's we're still black folks are still getting lynched, and people are calling it suicides. Police are still violating our rights, and disrespecting us, and discriminating against us, and murdering us. It's still getting away with uh, still getting away with that type of stuff. The asshole, the domestic terrorist who murdered Breonna Taylor in Louisville, has not been arrested yet. He's still walking the streets. I don't give a fuck that he lost his job. Are you fucking killing me? I go ahead and I kill somebody and I go to work the next day and they find out and I fire me, guess what? That's not, that ain't good enough. Someone would need to take my black ass into custody if I went ahead and murdered somebody like this officer did with Breonna Taylor. That attention, those marches, those protests, those threats of violence to that city if something doesn't get done needs to be happening in Louisville. It needs to be happening in Wilmington, Delaware. It needs to be happening in Tacoma, Washington. It needs to be happening all over the places where we have instances of police brutalizing, murdering, disrespecting, violating black folks' civil rights. We have that all over this country. So, again, we live in a very short attention span as far as this society is concerned in terms of this country is concerned. And I say it before and I'll say it again. If we slip If we take our eye off the ball, if we relax, if we take our foot off the pedal, any type of fucking cliche you want to throw out there, this country will move on. And when I say this country will move on, even those who were gung-ho and Black Lives Matter and throwing up the peace sign and throwing up the black power sign and no justice, no peace and all this kind of stuff, there's only so many monuments you can take down before people start to lose interest. There's so many so many marches that you can do especially in the summertime where people get bored and get uh, look for something else to do. Look for another thing to fight. Look for another issue to take to take issue with. So, this is a situation where we need to keep going. We need to keep showing the same vigilance. We need to keep showing the same tenacity. We need to keep showing the same threat of consequence of what happened in Minneapolis and these same places to where These atrocities, these discriminating actions being taken upon us are still happening in this country. We need that. We need to go, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. this. And if we're speaking about Kyrie Irving wants to spearhead that stuff, if Dwight Howard wants to spearhead that stuff, if Avery Bradley or anybody else wants to go ahead and lend their money, lend their time, lend their voice, lend anything that they want to while their comrades are playing in a bubble in Orlando, instead they want to go ahead and keep the marches, keep the thoughts, keep the feelings, keep the passion, keep the protests going, more power to them. And it shouldn't be just all the black athletes. Again, for my white brothers and sisters for these white athletes if you want to be known in the history books if you want to be known to make a change if you want to have your sons and your daughters talk proud of you when they're your age and you're been dead, dead and gone this is a situation right now where we need you we need you to stand with us again because the george floyd situation it's not going away in terms of what happened to George Floyd happening to more black folks and more Hispanic folks and more Asian folks and more white folks, but mainly black folks across this country. And we need that passion, we need that desire. You know, turn the anger, thoughts, comments, actions, and threats of violence and destruction to Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill. Let them know. Because I'm telling you right now, man, this shit ain't over. This country is going to explode by the time 2020 is over. I hope I'm wrong, but from what I'm feeling, from what I'm thinking, and in a small, small part, if we need to do that, I'm almost saying I'm hoping that if it has to come down to it, and if we have to, from the inside out, tear this structure down, tear this country down, if that's what needs to be done, for black folks to finally get freedom, justice, and equality, then I feel that's what we need to do. I hope we don't have to do that. I hope that the powers that be can take care of this. I hope our elected officials can do something to put some laws in the place to protect us. I hope that the togetherness and the unity can continue even throughout the hot summer, even through with the increase of positive tests for the coronavirus. Even with the uncertainty of when you're going back to work or when you're going to go back to school and what about college and all these other type of issues. These real life issues, these real concerning issues, these genuine issues that need to take precedence in a lot of situations in this period of time that we're going through. But man, we need to let people know. We need to let the lawmakers know. We need to let people know that we are willing to burn this fucking country down if you don't fucking take care of us. I'm talking about for Democrats, Republicans, Whigs, Independents. I don't give a fuck what you call themselves. We as the people, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, Midwest, South, East, West. I don't give a fuck. Rural, inner city, rich. I don't give a fuck. We need to let these people know. Get some shit fucking done or else watch your fucking city burn. And I'm telling you right now. I hope I'm wrong, but I just feel that, man, in um, in November, either way, I think this country is going to explode. I think this country is going to explode. Either way, no matter who wins, I think we are so divided. I think that we're so angry. I think that we're so dysfunctional as a country right now and as a people right now, despite the rebound, despite the comeback of... Of, of, of harmony and unity. I think that for, I don't think those bonds are going to be strong enough to hold down what's going to be happening in November. Whether the asshole that we have in the White House right now gets reelected or Joe Biden wins, I think either or, I think this country is going to explode. I think it's going to explode in violence. And my only question is, during this pseudo-civil war that we're going to be having, and God, I hope I'm wrong, Lord, I hope I'm wrong. Man, I hope I'm wrong. I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not hoping for this in any way, shape, or form. I don't want to see bloodshed. I don't want to see violence. I don't want to see cities burned. I want to see unity. I want to see harmony. I want to see peace. I want to see togetherness. I want to see a peaceful transition. Either way. But I don't think we're going to get that. I think this country especially when we hit the second wave of corona, I think we're going to be on edge. I think we're going to be edgy. I think that we're going to have attitude. I think we're going to be in a foul mood. I think we're going to be wanting to explode. I think we're going to be looking at parts of this country, whether it's Texas, whether it's Florida, whether it's the Midwest, where people, I think, are going to be quarantined for a long period of time, having the idea, having the thoughts, having the feelings, having the, the feeling of being oppressed, being their rights taken away, their liberties taken away because of things that are going to be happening with coronavirus falsely, wrongly, whatever you want to say. But I think you build that up, you build up people's tension, you put them in the position that they're going to be in, and then either way, their man loses or their man wins, I think we're going to explode in December or in November. I really think that we're going to do it. And for the athletes, for the athletes, black and white, whether we're speaking about football, whether we're speaking about basketball, whether we're speaking about the UFC, whether we're speaking about tennis. Man, we're going to need LeBron. We're going to need Colin Kaepernick. We're going to need DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to need Deshaun Watson. We're going to need Malcolm Jenkins. We're going to need Chris Long. We're going to need Gordon Hayward. We're going to need everybody. We're going to need Sidney Crosby. We're going to need everybody to be out there and just say and do what James Brown did when Dr. King was killed in 1968 April 5th and he went to Boston he basically stopped the riot because the black folks in that community were ready to riot, rightfully so, after the killing of the modern day human messiah for our community. And the cities were burning and the places were burning and the big cities and black communities were going up in flames. And Boston was about ready to explode. And James Brown came into the Boston Garden on April 5th, 364 days before. Wendell Wallace, George Truly, was born. And he came in there, and he saved that town with that concert. He saved that town. So when the shit hits the fan, which I believe, and there's going to be violence in the street, and there's going to be the National Guard in some places, LeBron, we're going to need you. Tom Brady, we're going to need you. Aaron Rodgers, we're going to need you. Giannis, we're going to need you. The Williams sisters, we're going to need you. Maria Sharapova, we're going to need you. We're going to need you. We're going to need each and every one of you to see what we can do. So keep that shit going, man. Keep it going. Keep it going. By all means, keep it going. Because we can't trust our elected officials. I was reading something the other day, according to Politico, they were talking about, you know, doing something as far as police reform. According to Political Politico, the House on Thursday passed a sweeping police reform bill that would ban chokeholds and the use of no-knock warrants, create a national registry for officers accused of misconduct and make it easier for prosecute officers. Yet the Democrats picked up only a few GOP votes, guaranteeing the proposal has no chance of moving on to the Senate, and the Senate can't even agree to begin debate on a police reform bill. Tim Scatter's up there talking about some toothless bullshit of a reform bill, and Democrats are like, no, fuck you. I and mean, those two people can't even get together. Those two political parties can't even get together to sit down, to have a meeting, to have negotiations, to come up with a crime bill, to come up with something that will defraud or de- detooth some of the police or do something to improve the uh, to improve policing these guys can't even do that you know Democrats are blocking efforts to take up a proposal drafted by Senator Tim Scott one of the two black Republicans on Capitol Hill so instead of trying to find a solution the party leaders are pointing fingers at each other surprise fucking surprise so Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell that piece of shit that asshole and the GOP senators were infuriated when Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Republicans are trying to get away with murder, actually the murder of George Floyd. George Floyd, bad taste, inappropriate. They demanded she apologized. Pelosi refused. Then Senator John Brasso, who's a Republican from Wyoming, he angered Democrats when he suggested Senate Majority Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, had a chokehold. Jesus had a chokehold on the Republican version of police reform. Democrats said that the comments show GOP leaders weren't serious about addressing the issue of police brutality, and of course, according to GOP sources, the White House senior aides whipped up Republicans, House Republicans, against the Democratic bill, and Trump has turned to repeatedly tweeting out law and order. I I, I swear, you know, it's like, (laughs) once again... As I mentioned before, yes, lawmakers have played a role in the development of our, in our country, but when you're speaking about athletes, when we're speaking about entertainers, when we're speaking about the Sydney Poitiers, and we're speaking about the Sam Cooks, And we're speaking about the Frank Sinatras, and we're speaking about the Sammy Davis Jr.s, and we're speaking about the Jackie Robinsons, and we're speaking about the Paul Robesons, and we're speaking about the Joe Lewis's, and we're speaking about the Jim Browns, and we're speaking about all those who don't write laws. We're speaking about the Malcolms, and we're speaking about the Medgars, and we're speaking about those who gave their life, both black and white, in the civil rights movement. When we're speaking about Medgar, when we're speaking about the Freedom Fighters, when we're speaking about Huey P. Newton, when we're speaking about Richard Pryor, when we're speaking about the Black Panthers, when we're speaking about all of these people who weren't senators, weren't Republicans, weren't Democrats, weren't writing laws, weren't up there on Capitol Hill, when the power of Ray Charles and when the power of these entertainers had the impact that it did to move society. That's why I say before, man, these athletes, come on! Look at the assholes that we have in Congress right now, both Republican and Democrat. Both of these people, both of these parties. What the fuck's the matter with y'all? You got a country right now that you're in charge of that's coming apart at the fucking seams and you guys are still pointing fingers at each other. What are you guys, five years fucking years old? Yeah, I'm fucking mad about this because again, I see a country that's going down to a part to where we are going to destroy this country. And both sides, Democrats and Republicans, are going to be held responsible for it. Equally. Equally. Because both of you motherfuckers can't get into a room and act like fucking adults and see what you can do to to save this fucking country. We elected you to do that and you're failing us miserably. Both of you guys. Both parties. No one is abdicated from blame. Both of you guys are fucking things up. And it's fucking pissing me off. Because guess what? It shouldn't be LeBron James' job. It shouldn't be Peyton Manning's job. We shouldn't be calling for athletes and entertainers and singers and actors. We shouldn't be asking these guys. We shouldn't be begging these guys to help save the country because you guys are too fucked up to do it yourselves. Because you guys are too selfish. Because you guys are too greedy to do it yourselves. We should be able. To, you know what? It would be cool if I bet you LeBron James would just love to shut up and dribble. I bet you Kevin Durant would just love to shut up and dribble. I'm quite sure Greg Popovich wouldn't love to just shut up and coach. I'm quite sure Tom Brady would love to just Or Colin Kaepernick. I would love to see him. I'm quite sure he would love to be able just to throw touchdown passes and play football. I'm quite sure those guys would love to do that, Laura Ingram. You ungrateful cunt. I'm quite sure they would love to do those type of things. But guess what? We have people in office right now who are not allowing them to do so. So if you have Republicans and Democrats who weren't doing anything for their communities, who's going to step up and say something? Surely not them, even though it's their job. So it's up to LeBron. It's up to Colin Kaepernick. It's up to the Williams sisters. It's up to Kyrie Irving. It's up to Malcolm Jenkins. It's up to Calais Campbell. It's up to those guys to try to do what they can to save these communities, which in turn to try to save this country because you sorry motherfuckers are too busy yelling and screaming and ignoring each other and insulting each other to get anything done. Unfucking believable the world and the country that we live in. Unfucking believable. The perceived threats to American democracy are what China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Iraq, shit. You know who I'm scared of? More than Putin, more than Kim Jong-un, more than ISIS, more than jihadi leaders. You know who I'm more scared of than those guys in terms of destroying this country? I'm more scared of the guy we got in the office right now. I'm I'm, I'm more fearful of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell than I am Vladimir Putin Kim Jong-un or ISIS. And those guys are just sitting back, and they're just letting the leaders of this country destroy it on their own. I'm quite sure the guys at ISIS are sitting back going, why do we need to go ahead and do something stupid? These stupid motherfuckers in Congress, they're doing they are doing our job for us. Putin's sitting back laughing at his off, since he has his puppet in the, in the White House right now. I'm quite here sure he's sitting back saying, yep, just part of my plan. And guess what? That fucking country is so stupid. That idiot might even get reelected. <laughs> what do I have to do? Why do I have to infiltrate and do anything on Facebook? There's already too many stupid motherfuckers out there who will vote for that idiot anyway. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. I can just sit back and relax and continue to and, 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 and try to take over Europe. <laughs> I don't need to do anything. Kim Jong-un doesn't have to do anything. He's, Americans are too busy destroying this country. Politicians are too busy destroying this country telling you. So it's another, it goes right back. Black Drew Brees, we need your help. Malcolm Jenkins, we need your help. Deshaun Watson, we need your help. Patrick Mahomes, we need your help. Adam Jones, we need your help. Aaron Judge, we need your help. Because if not, we in some trouble. We are in some big trouble. So that's what they, we need to get it fixed or burn it down. And I'm telling you right now, you know what will have Congress move? You know what would happen if they wanted a crime bill today with any teeth? If they wanted something that would really do something as far as you know straightening up the problems in the police department? You know what would really get them to move? If the same thing, if the same thing that happened in Minneapolis happened right around Capitol Hill. Now, of course, it would never get that far because those assholes, those cowards, those gutless fiends would send out the National Guard and everything else to stop the protesters from doing to D.C. what they did to some of the parts of Minneapolis. But I'm quite sure one thing, if that shit was happening for real, those motherfuckers in Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, would get some shit done. The threat of violence... And we said, Nancy, we know where you fucking live. Chuck in New York, we know where you fucking live. We know your neighborhood. We're angry. We're really angry. And guess who's going to be in your neighborhood tonight? Unless you get some shit done. Nancy in California, we know where you fucking live. Bitch Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, we know where you fucking live. And we're marching. And we're upset. And we're angry. And we're short-tempered. You motherfuckers better do something or else, guess what? America's going to be right there for the entire world to see. America's leaders using violence to try to to mute their citizens. That's going to be shown all over the world. The great United States of America, the leaders of peace, the true democracy, right? all over the world is going to be shown tear gas rubber bullets violence, the National Guard the army on its citizens on its citizens how embarrassing for these folks in Congress right now would that be how embarrassing would that be well let me fucking tell you something if you don't get some shit done that's what's going to fucking happen that's exactly what's going to happen don't lead us to that alternative. Don't lead us to that resolution. Don't lead us to that being the only option. Because you know the playbook. You absolutely know the playbook. Those guys are just going to wait it out. They got an election coming, so they're just going to wait it out. And they're going to stall. And they're going to try to get get you to lose sight of what's going on. And then some other shit's going to come out and then the idiot that we have in the White House right now is going to say something stupid that's going to get their people's minds off of the fact that we need police reform and everything else and then, you know, the work of the far right is going to be doing their shit to be talking about protesters and the black protesters or Black Lives Matter are no good and and they're all terrorists and we all need to come together and all lives matter and all of that shit's going to be happening. Man, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot Let them get away with that shit. The haters, those who don't believe, those who want to stay where we were before, that's everybody. I don't give a damn. I'm talking about it's not exclusive to race or gender or political agenda. I'm not talking about that. When everything in November breaks down, it ain't going to be about black versus white, Uh, black versus white. It's going to be about right versus wrong. And if it comes down to that, If you're on the right side, I don't give a fuck who you are. Republican, white, Asian, gay, atheist, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Because it ain't about race. It ain't about gender. It ain't about any of that stuff. It's about what's right and what's wrong in this country. And I think as far as the athletes are concerned, which all ties back into the athletes because they have that platform, it all comes back to LeBron's on the right side. Drew Brees now completely is on the right side. We believe Tom Brady is on the right side. We believe those in the NBA and the NFL, the high majority, and Major League Baseball, and the NHL, and those employed by the UFC, and those employed by Bellator, and those employed by every other sport, when you're speaking about these athletes of great renown and great influence and great power, are going to be on the right side. We're going to need them. We're going to need them in this war in this, whatever we're going to have in November. When everything, when the shit finally hits the fan. We're going to need them, man. We're going to need them. Because um, the people that we have in the office right now, regardless of political power, regardless of political affiliation, ain't doing nothing. Ain't doing nothing for us. All right. I am done. I am out of here. want to thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Wendell's World of Sports will be back soon. Be good. Be safe. Be smart. Wear a mask. Look after each other. Don't be so selfish. Think about others. Love. Unite. Peace. Listen. Listen. Learn. Listen. No, 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 no. We don't want your comments. We don't want your opinions. We don't want your yeah, buts. No, 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 no. It's no time for yeah, buts right now. It is no time for yeah buts. Listen, learn, grow, listen, learn, grow, listen, learn. Music.
3: tell me everything's alright yeah I sure wish my baby would come and tell me everything is still alright oh yes I do they tell me Tell somebody Your troubles Trouble Fly away from you I'm looking I'm looking I'm looking I'm looking I'm looking For somebody I can tell My troubles too Why won't somebody Bye.